Hi, this is Christy with Life Struggles, and today I have the pleasure, and it's been a while that we've been trying to get this going, but here we are. I want you to help me in welcoming Dusty. Dusty is the found, or the owner of Horses Healing Hearts. Welcome, Dusty. Thank you, Christy, so much for having me. It's an honor. I just can't wait to hear your story and have everybody else hear it. So why don't we start at the beginning, if that's okay? That's perfect. That's perfect. So as Chrissy said, my name is Dusty Simmers, and I live in a very small rural community about 100 miles north of Las Vegas. And this is basically where I grew up. Now, I left in my older years, but this is basically kind of the same town I grew up in and where my family is from. So I am the oldest of, there's three of us and I'm the oldest and, you know, it's been kind of an adjustment, you know, when you're the oldest and then you're, when I was born, I was the first grandchild. So my grandparents on my dad's side were just wooed me, right? Like I hear stories all the time that I had enough outfits that I never had to wear the same outfit twice, right? (laughs) So, and Two years later, I have a little sister and I love her to death. So, but obviously I was, I guess, wooed from so long as an early age. And when my sister was born, um, she was like my mom, my mom like took her under a wing. I was like, no, like this is mine. Like I'm not sharing. And so, I mean, I love her to death, but for my life. Like the first traumatic. I felt like that my whole life. I was like. I always, and I always felt that way. Now that's my perspective. That's I'm not saying that's what they meant to do, but that was my perspective on life, right? And and so and then my brother, we're all two and a half years apart from each other. And then so then I had a little brother was born, and um, we lived in Vegas for a short time, and then we moved to up here to Alamo when I was in first grade, right before I started first grade, and. So I have always loved horses my whole life. There's pictures of me uh, on in a diaper on my grandpa's horse that I shared with him. And they, they're my soul, right? Like they're. Okay. They're so me. did your, did your grandparents live on a farm? Yeah. So they had a ranch. We still own it. Okay. Um, so we still own it and everything. So that life always been horses. Yeah. Okay. That's, that has been my my passion, my soul, my everything. And my whole life, just, that's just me. And so here I am in first grade. I'm new to this town. I don't know anybody. And um, it's like September. So school starts in August and in September or around there, we went to go visit my other grandma. And when I came back, we had to go down to this ranch. They're like, Hey, we got to go down to the so-and-so's place. And so we go down there and what was waiting for me was a two-year-old filly and my own, my very own horse. Like I'm only like six at this time, right? Like not even seven yet. And I got my first horse. Was it a pony or full grown? Nope. Horse? Nope. She was just a two-year-old full grown horse. And I got papers and all. It was actually from Floyd Lamb, who was one of Nevada state senators. And he has a park named after him in Vegas, but I was one of the only people I've that ever got a horse and papers from Floyd Lamb. Like, wow. like it was mine. My dad made sure like it was mine. And, but here's the thing. So 
when I was going through all that, like I got her, I'm so super excited, right? I'm, I'm over the top. So when I'm there at school and stuff, that's all I talked about, right? was my horse Sugar Bojo because that's her paper name and I was just so happy. And Sugar so, Bojo? Yeah. So the other first grade teacher actually called me that and called, still to this day, if I see him, sometimes I'll <laughs> say this, and I've been graduated since 08. But the thing is, though, and I played horses out in the corner of the school yard with a couple of my friends. Like we had our, we brought toy horses to school. We played horses over in the corner by ourselves. And so like I said, you mean like the little out. plastic horses. That yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Instead of Barbies. Our, yeah. We had, we had farms set up everywhere. I go to his mm -hmm. house and we just set farms inside and outside. It was, it was wild. But the thing is, is with that and being that new kid in town, like, I didn't always fit in. I didn't always like, I mean, I had friends and I got along with everybody, but I was still kind of weird, right? Because I played with horses instead of playing just everything that everybody else did. So fast forward a couple years and we'll go to fourth grade or get yeah, a fourth grade. And I, this, my horse is finally older. She's broke to ride. I can ride her. I had trained her on the barrels and poles. I led her through. Um, one of my friends in school taught me how to do the different rodeo events that I could do at that age with her and that the girls could do. So where you lived, was there rodeos all the time? Yeah. Okay. So I've been competing since fourth grade. Okay. I still compete to this day. So, and, but the thing, like when I was taught how to do it, I just stuck to it. Like I was so excited. I learned on a piece of paper. I came home. I led my horse. I set the poles up, which is like six poles in a row. Mm -hmm. And so we, I set up the milk crates and I just walked her through the pattern. And then we had, you know, the orange, uh, water igloos. Mm -hmm. I set three of them up in a barrel pattern and I led her through them. So that's kind of how we started with it. And then once she was broken stuff, we just, we went right to it and we both took to it like duck to water. And we, I mean, we got competitive fast and it, I was just lucky. Like her and I clicked. We've always been in team. So it just was lucky. And I started beating people that I probably shouldn't have been beating that new and that amateur, I guess, because neither one of us knew what the heck we were doing. We just did it. And so I remember like rodeos used to just be on like a Saturday, right? Well, then mm -hmm. we got to another association and we started to have what are called double headers where you have uh, Saturday and Sunday. Okay. And when I started missing church, cause I did go to an actual church, um, from when I moved and I was baptized, everything in the church. And when I started to miss church, I'm told I'm going to hell from, Nine years. Who? from a couple of kids in my class, okay. from a couple of kids that were good friends of mine. And so here I am nine years old doing what I love. And now I start to feel like because I'm doing what I love, like what I love is sending me to hell. So I, I, I want to ask you this because different churches teach different things. Um, you were, were you guys taught that if you didn't go to church, you'd go I, to I mean, I don't really fully remember it. I know that there's like different levels of heaven. If you don't like go to church so much, it was like, 
multiple levels of heaven you go to and if you don't do like different things perfectly and so I think it was perspective of what people also believed because the older I've got I've learned that that was completely not even true but the perspective and maybe what um, kids families told them in order to get them to go to church sure you know and so That's, there's some there's some churches that teach hell and damnation um, and I try to stay away from that because I don't think if you believe in God, he's a loving God. I don't so much. I don't think we should be taught to fear him. I think we should be taught to respect him and to trust him. Yes. There's a difference, but you poor thing. So you go ahead. So, you know, at this point, like my sister's getting a little bit older too. And I'm a bigger built girl. Like it doesn't matter. Like even when I was making very poor choices in my adult years, mm-hmm. like I couldn't get past a seven, a size seven. And like, just my shoulders are big. My hips are big. My ribs are big. Like I'm just, so you're big boned. Yeah. And I'm tall. I'm five ten, And so, right. and my sister's not, my sister's petite built. And I felt like, like I said, I felt like my sister had my mom and my mom is also petite built. And in my eyes, I felt like I was like the oddball, like I wasn't good enough. So I already had kind of body images and like a couple kids made fun of me in school over different things. Um, I don't remember all of it. I just remember like the feeling, right? Like the, that, the feeling of like, I'm not worthy. I'm ugly. And then as we got further along in school, like into middle school, later elementary school, different things like that. I remember walking to the bus and I'd be in tears getting on the bus because my sister would say stuff about like, you're ugly, you're, you know, fat, all this kind of stuff. And I took it to heart. Like I was very sensitive over it. And then, but I tried to always be strong, right? Like, and so when we fought, we didn't really get along. And so grateful for the grace of God of how life has turned around because it's not even like that now. Thank God for children, right? right? Our own children. But so like we never really had a relationship. And, and you said there was three of you, right? Yeah, there's three of you. Uh, my brother and I, my brother's the youngest, and we were close. We you know so we was got he four years younger than you? Five years younger. Five years, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. my sister was two and a half, um, but she was two grades below me, where my brother was three grades below her. Okay. And so there was a lot of in the same school and the same, going to the same events, going to the same, all that kind of stuff. And so fast forward and we're in middle school and I remember like, I mean, I play all the sports. Like I was always active in sports. I played, you know, we had uh, t-ball and then base or softball. And then it went, you know, basketball started like in fourth grade and then volleyball started in middle school. And you know, I played softball all the way up until eighth grade, played all the sports till eighth grade. And when I got into high school, um, I didn't play sports as much because of rodeo. But so I, like I said, I played everything, was active. You know, I started, I was, you know, part of the team. It's not like I, you know, I played well. And I remember being in like eighth grade and, you know, we're, that's kind of when everyone starts to like date per se, or have crushes on people or whatever, I'm still being told I'm going to hell. Like Except this now, is- now it's like 10. It's, it's nuts. So crazy. And so 
like I remember having a crush on a kid that went to the church that like I used to be a part of mm-hmm. like I still went to young women's and I still went on uh girls trip like whatever they were young women's trips and different things like that um I just wasn't active in the church um per se so much and but then I always felt like off like even though like a kid liked me or something like I felt like I wasn't worthy to date him or to like like him or that how can I like someone like that if I'm going to hell like I'm just going to make him go to hell so like if I like him then he's going to go to hell like I had bad bad like just self-worth right very low so I have a question to ask you go for it um did you talk to your mom or your dad you didn't so they didn't know like your sister was treating you like that and they didn't know that you were being made fun of from people at the school they didn't know that you were being told you were gonna go to hell if you didn't go to church so I was I always was raised to believe like walk away be the bigger person kind of thing like even when my sister and I would fight like walk away be the bigger person like don't go down that road don't you know, embark on it, embrace whatever, don't fight, you know, just walk away, be the bigger person. And so um, you didn't share any of that. No. So, so they like, had I no idea what was going on. I, I don't think they understood the extent, like with my sister, like they knew we had the different things and it became more prevalent later in high school. And um, did both your mom and dad work? Yeah. Okay. I am not by any way putting oh, like, no. blame on anybody. I like to know these situations because I had parents that both worked too. Um, and I had, I had a lot of bullying myself. Mine was the opposite. I was skinny and I was, a, and I was a late bloomer and I got teased. I, I made cheerleading and then I made captain like in seventh and eighth grade. Um, and I was the lightest one and the smallest one. So I was always the one that was on top of the um, pyramids, you know, and, and did right, double right. flips down and stuff. And, but I never, I didn't have a chest. I didn't start blooming yet. And I, I remember the very last game of my eighth grade year was a tournament. And we also had cheerleading competition in that. And so we had practice and practice and practice. So I wanted to look really good. And by the way, both my parents worked and they worked two different shifts. And so my dad, my mom worked first, my dad worked second. So like she had, she got off at three and he had to be there at three. Oh, wow. And so there was, there was that time frame about a half hour. Cause that's what time we got out of school too. And there was five of us. But uh, so we had to get ourselves home, you know, and, and get in the house and whatever, which is no big deal. I mean, right. it really wasn't a big deal, um, except that at the time I was the oldest one at home and it was my responsibility to get my younger brothers and keep them in the house until my mom got home. Um, also to be there before my dad was left. So, but anyway, um, my, my, point being was and then they were like in bridge clubs and um, bowling teams they were very social um and so we we babysat the you know the two older girls babysat the younger boys and I, I suppose you could say I got babysat too I don't 
believe that because she snuck out all the time. That's awesome. She snuck out all the time. So it was, it was me. And I watched her get in trouble every time and caught every time. And our parents didn't, um, my dad used a belt a couple times, um, but mostly it was grounding. My mom, if it only happened to me once, see, I was, my, my siblings to this day will say, well, I, don't, I only have two left, but we'll say to this day that I was the perfect child. But I really wasn't the perfect child. It was that I watched these. I was so observative of what was going around me that, okay, so like you can't date until you're 16. Okay, but at 15, you can double date. You can double date, but you have to be home by curfew, whatever the city curfew is. So that was 11 o'clock. That to me was just easy. You just, do what you're told and you don't get in trouble, right? And you get to keep going. Right. So it's kind of a lot, it was kind of a logical thing to me because I kept watching my sister get grounded week after week after week and in trouble all the time. And then she'd smart up and she'd get either backhanded by my mom or the belt, you know, for my dad. And it's not that they were beating. Right. And then that was the way that discipline was. So People say to me, oh, so you came from an abusive family? No. No. I did not come from, I came from a disciplined family, but never, ever, and I only got slapped once, one time. And I do have to tell you this because it's kind of funny. So I, I was actually a sophomore in high school. I was dating, and the first guy I started dating became my boyfriend. And they liked him a lot after we had dated, like, almost, it was going on a year when this happened. Okay. So, but by that time they knew his parents and he came over a lot. We always, always did what we were supposed to do. We said where we were going. We were always home on time. We, you know, we, wherever we said we were going, that's where we went. If plans change, we called home and we told, we just did that. So they trusted us. Um, Anyway, so this in particular Saturday night, that was the only night that we were able to have a date because both of us were in sports and they were always on Friday nights. And so Saturday night was date night and then Sunday was family day. So once in a while we got to go to each other's family days, but our parents tried not to have it too often. So we had family time. Okay, so it was a Saturday night. I wasn't quite ready. So when he showed up to pick me up, Um, And like I said, this very rarely happened, but when he showed up to pick me up, I was still getting ready. My, my mom let him in. And then she just having a conversation, she said, so what are you guys doing tonight? Which normally they never even ask that anymore. Right. That's so true. They didn't ask it anymore because they always knew that we, we either went to the movies went roller skating or went bowling. That's what we did, you know? Um, so, so she knew that. And uh, anyway, so she just, I think she was just making conversation with him, but he said, oh, we're going to the movies. Okay, well, what we did was 
one one weekend he would give me the choice of the movie the next time it would be his so we we alternated i never knew nor did he ever know which one we were going to go to until we told each other when we picked him up so he told her and it was the exorcist i had never heard of it before and i didn't hear this conversation either okay um but i came i came down the stairs and I said, you ready? And mom said, uh, you're not going. And I said, what's the matter? And she said, you're not going to that movie. Well, I didn't know the movie yet. I, he hadn't, you know, I hadn't talked to him to know what movie he'd picked out. And she said, The Exorcist. And I said, why? I said, why? Because I didn't know anything about the movie. She thought that I was questioning her authority. So she, uh, back, she backhanded me, drew blood. My boyfriend, like threw a fit, called her name. My dad came out, made him leave, said, you're never to come back again. Sent me to the office. That was their place where you had to go and wait for your punishment. <laughs> and they usually made you wait like an hour to just sit oh there and wonder, what, what am I going to get? I'm still, so I got blood going down my mouth because it split open my lip. And I'm, I'm like, what did I do wrong? If my mom had, had said, you're not going to the exorcist because da, 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 da. I, I would have said, okay. I, I wouldn't have wanted to go. Right. Okay. I don't even like horror movies at all. But I didn't know what I what what I did wrong. And I sat there for 45 minutes until they both came in and had decided what my punishment was. And the punishment, first of all, my boyfriend had to apologize when he was allowed to come back, but we could not see each other for three months. Oh wow. That's a long grounding. Like I didn't see my sister for all the stuff she did ever get grounded that long. Ever. It was like a week. And then she get regrounded every week, but still it was a week, three months is a long time. And I still don't know what I did wrong. So I did start crying. And then my, I remember my dad saying, if you don't stop crying, we're going to add to it. So I, so I finally, I, I mean, I quit crying. And then I said, could you tell me what I did wrong? And then, then my mom said, well, you questioned my authority. And I said, I wasn't questioning your authority. I was questioning what was wrong with the movie because I didn't, I'd never heard of it before. Well, you would have thought that they would have said, oh, mom would have apologized, whatever. Still, my boyfriend needed to apologize because he called my mom a name. He reacted to me being hit. Right. Um, so no, he could not. He, he called her a bitch is what he did. And said, don't, you better never hit her again. Like, he didn't know what to do. And then my dad said, get out of here. You're gone. So did he owe her an apology for calling her that? Yes. Um, Was I mad at him about it? No, because he reacted out of caring for me. And probably scared too. He's probably not seen that before. But long story short, um, she, she did not lessen the punishment because they don't do that she did a month later a month later she said i 
you've obeyed all the rules and so you got you know but he does have to apologize before you guys can go out again which I had told him when I saw him at school you know you're gonna have to apologize to my mom well he had told his parents what went on and they didn't believe he owed that my mom an apology and they thought they thought my mom owed me an apology and him an apology and so there was kind of a battle going on there and finally I just said to him whether you feel like you've done something wrong or not would you just do it so we can go out (laughs) and so he did he did but at any rate that's the only time that I ever got ever got slapped um I just like I said I watched my siblings and I watched them get in trouble over and over again so I wasn't trying to be the perfect child. I was trying to stay ungrounded. Because makes perfect sense. So it does, but I'm a logical person. To this day, they they tease me about that and say, oh, well, you're the perfect child. And I'm like, I wasn't trying to be a perfect child. I was trying to have fun. And I did. Oh well. So like I got this. I figured out the way around it. Yeah. Yeah. Just I mean, they were simple rules. Didn't you have them? Um, so like we weren't very social per se, like we played sports and everything and we were very active in all of that. Like, um, you know, young women's, any activities like that, um, we were involved with them, mm-hmm. but you know, I really never asked to go to a friend's house. I guess after a few, you know, you get told no, or like not now and you don't understand why, or you think you've done something. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was one of those ones that like, I always want, I guess I was always looking for my mom's approval. Because your sister was getting it all. Yes. So still something that I still strive for. And I, you know, I'll be honest, like I thought I worked through it all. And I thought, you know, hey, I'm I'm done over this. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm working through more still. And, you know, more things have come up and I'm like, okay, like this is your old habits. And I, you know, and it's mine and I need, I'm working through it. but. I didn't understand that growing up. I had no idea, no understanding of like how I felt, right? Like, so my parents are very like, you cry, keep crying. We're going to give you something to cry about. You know right, what I mean? Like, right. Wow, I heard that wow, one before. Like, act like you weren't like born in a barn, right? Like you got manners, like, you know? And so um, I didn't understand feelings. Um, I, oh, I did skip over. So like I said, my Grandma had passed away in fifth grade. Um, I seen her the night before. She's my person. Like my, my my sister had my mom. My brother had my dad. That's that was what I seen. Right. Um, my grandma was my person and um, always had my back and everything and supported me in my dreams. So and did you talk to her about what was going on, your grandma? No, but I knew like my grandma always just believed in me. Like I knew like always my grandma. Always, both of my grandmas actually always believed in me. Um, Later in my life, uh, my mom's mom kind of like shown some light on some of it, like helped me see things mm-hmm. where I didn't understand things and helped me see like my mom and my sister's relationship and shown light on the fact that, you know, I was so spoiled for my grandparents and it wasn't, they didn't spoil my sister. I was just the first one. So I got like the extra dose, right? Like, and then my brother was born and he was the the boy and they have a ranch. So, I mean when they wrote their will, my brother was little and 
my brother was the one that was on it, right? Like to inherit it out of us three. And so um, I got a question. Go for it. You. Does um to to this day, did your sister know? Uh know how I felt? Yeah. Um, so we've like had discussions about it before. Um, a little bit, it was a lot of fights, like our high school years, my senior year was probably the worst. I gained a lot of weight my senior year. Um, here I am, I'm a sophomore in high school and I, I looked good. Like now looking back, like I was at 29 ways, like 36 inseams, like I was, and I like had the whole figure thing going on, like everything, mm -hmm. long blonde hair, like, um, and you didn't feel like that. I thought I was hideous. I've seen pictures of me and I was like, that's not me. Like, that's no, no, that's not me. Like I was some nasty, disgusting, nobody would ever want person. And then I look back and I'm like, what in the world is that? Like, wow, that's not how I see myself at all. So, but know. did she pick up on that and, and, and tease you about it? Um, I think so. I think okay. that was, I was easy to get to with her. Like she could get to me like that. But I, I have the reason back. I'm asking is because I was the second girl. Now we're all five years in between. Oh wow. That's a lot. So like my youngest, my youngest brother is 14 years younger than me. That's crazy. You know, it's it's like you don't, but anyway, so she was she was five years older than me. So for five years, she was an only child. And she got all that attention. And there was no other grandkids no other grandkids. My dad was an only child. Um, so that was it. Okay. Um, from the time that I can remember, she told me, first of all, she told me that I was adopted. She told me that I was put on the doorstep because my mom didn't want me because I was an ugly baby. By the time I'm serious, um, she said that my dad felt sorry for me when he when he like she took him to the door and showed him this baby. And he said, oh, my God, this poor thing. She's so ugly. We're going to have to help her. And I was like five. When she repeated this story and I would cry, I would cry. OK, when I was six. So my dad did have a sister. Um, she did not have any other kids. So her and my uncle, when my dad and mom were working, would and they would go on a vacation, they would take me and my sister. And then my my one of my cousins on my mom's side, who was an only child. Okay, well, she was 10 years older than me. Then my sister was five years older than me. So I was the youngest one. Five, so I was six this, this time I'm talking about. They took us to um, Montana to the Hot Springs. Is that what it is? Yellowstone National Park. Yes. Okay. So, and we drove and it was, you know, back then there were station wagons and that's what you took your vacations in. Okay. So anyway, I I remember that we stopped in the morning. So so my aunt and uncle took turns driving. 
we stopped in the morning we had breakfast and when okay so my grand my uncle was going to pay the bill my um aunt was doing i don't remember what she was doing honestly but she told my cousin and my sister to take me to the bathroom and wash me up and make sure that I went to the bathroom and then to take me to the car. Um, I had to go poo and they kept saying, would you hurry up? Would you hurry up? Would you hurry up? And the more they said that, the longer it was taking me to go. So they said, fine, we're just leaving you, which I thought they were teasing. Um, but anyway, I, they walked out the door and I just figured, oh, they'll, they'll wait outside the door because they knew that I, ha- I had that problem. I could not do that when somebody was standing there waiting for me to go. And when I got done and I went out, they were gone. The car was gone. My aunt and uncle were gone. Yeah. Um, yeah. They left me, but that had nothing to do with my aunt and uncle. So they got in the station wagon and they stuck pillows underneath the blanket and made it look like I was sleeping. And they told my aunt and uncle. Yeah. They told my aunt and uncle that I was asleep. That I fell asleep. And I, in the mean, meantime, I was never a scared little child. So I went out there and I said, um, I, I don't know. And they didn't, you know, they didn't have cell phones then. I didn't know, I didn't know like the make of the car, nothing. I was, I was six years old. <laughs> um, so the, the, you know, the owners of, the, of this little cafe were asking me these questions and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. And I did start crying. They're like, you know what? So that time this little restaurant had a Sunday bar. I don't know if you, there's hardly any restaurants that have them anymore, but Kind of like, do you guys have steak and shakes anywhere? Uh, no, but I do know what you're talking about. Okay. So there was a bar up there and that's where you could get, you know, like have soda pop or shakes or whatever. And so they sat me on up on one of those stools. They, they asked me what kind of ice cream I wanted. I could have anything I wanted. They brought down this TV that they, a little tiny square TV that, with an antenna that they put up on the shelf and they put cartoons on and they said, they'll come back and get you. They'll realize that you're not in the car. So it was three and a half hours later. Oh my goodness. But by then I know because they didn't know until like they were, they were like, um, we're going to pull over and go to the bathroom at a rest stop. So you need to get Christy up. And they were, they were like, uh Oh, so I guess they thought they were going to make it all the way to National Park and I'd be long gone. I don't know. But it, the funny thing is, so so obviously they figured out, you know, they had to say um, she's back at the restaurant. So they had to drive three and a half hours back then. So I was now seven hours sitting at this place and they gave me little dolls to play with. People that came in and tell my story and then give me stuff. I had the time of my life. I was not scared at all. And I knew they would be back. I knew they would be back. I, I, I trusted that. I just didn't know how, if they would remember the place. That's what I kept saying. Will they remember where this was? It was just a place we stopped, you know? Right. But my uncle had the receipt. 
So, and on the receipt was printed out the name of the restaurant and the address. Oh, so Jesus. And a phone number. So he stopped at a pay phone. He called the phone number and told them that he was, they were on their way back, but it was three and a half hours out. So I was, I was told then, and like everybody in the restaurant started clapping and <laughs> they turned on music from the jukebox and we had little dances. And so anyway, so we get, they get back to get me and my, my sister and my cousin come in and they're expecting to find this child that is broken and crying and the whole nine yards. And I am laughing and had the best time of my life. And they were in a lot of trouble. For, from And up until this day, my sister still, still to this day, puts me down, constantly compares herself to me, um, tries to outdo me in everything. I feel bad for her. I pray for her all the time. So I just wondered if your sister like still is like that. Um, my sister and I, we have a pretty decent relationship. I mean, it's not like we talk all the time, but I mean, it's a pretty decent relationship. We talk about different uh, things that we probably would never. But the thing is, is like when we were like in young women's, I remember once how we went to a young women's camp up in Kolob, Utah, gorgeous place. And um, the moon was like red. And so my sister's younger, much younger than me. And it was like, I think her probably her first year she got to go and she was in the tent with me and there was like one of my friends was in there with her with us and then one of her friends was in the tent with us and so she had went up like I don't know how this all worked out anyway she went to the campfire while I was doing something in the tent and they were talking about the red moon and how that meant Jesus was coming back and the world was ending okay she comes back to the tent she is scared I bet scared and you know like so I was there for her and like went up there like and helped like kind of sort through things like I took care of the problems um like um there was another time we were in uh high school and I was it was probably like my junior or senior year well, I can't remember exactly I think it was my senior year actually and so she's a sophomore at this time and um we are way different like my sister was a cheerleader um like school academics was easy for me like I just didn't put out the effort because of my worthiness like why put out it like I can't go do what I want to do and I don't want to have all these other careers like who cares like I'm just gonna fail anyways kind of thing but I still got easy thought you were gonna fail I did I just thought I was gonna fail at life and just have some miserable life like who would want me that's literally like before I gained weight my senior year like I literally felt that way about myself it was it was bad like how about about this one did you talk to your horse uh-huh. There's only one time in my entire life, one secret I ever kept from my horse. From like my whatever horse I ever had. There's only one secret I ever kept. How come? That secret was when um before when I didn't know I was pregnant and everything was going on with my relationship and I couldn't leave and I was trying to leave and I was trying to plan to leave and I was supposed to leave in December and I mean things are a mess, right? Like already feel like I'm failing. I don't want to go home and my family see what I've become. Um, my belief of like how, what I thought, like if someone ever, I was told if you're ever in an abusive relationship, like it, you should just basically get out of it that easy. Or if you get hit, it's your fault kind of stuff. Like the stigmatism that the by world the abuser or by other people, other people and the abuser. 
people on, you know, kind of mind games and, you know, was supposed to make you be strong, like not accept that kind of stuff, but because I already had very low self-esteem. So when it happened, I believed it was my fault, not their fault. Okay. I'm very, very forgiving of people, not forgiving of myself. So, okay. so go back to then senior year. Yeah. So senior year, um, case, my sis is like, uh, and the English teacher we had, he was trying to like push her to read this book about horse terminology that just happened to have in the library and they had to take tests on it and stuff. And I mean, this book is intense. Like it is deep horse terminology. Me, like I would have even struggled with it. You know what I mean? That would have been a hard read for me to comprehend, remember, and still take a test on it, right? No way in heck would my sister be able to do it. She is not a fanatic about horses on that level. Very competitive in rodeo. Very competitive, won't, won't say that. But she's not on that, like, wants to know all that kind of stuff about a horse. And she's in tears and she comes to me and I'm in another class and she comes to me and she's bawling and she's like, this teacher's like pushing me to read this and I just can't read it. I don't, you know what I mean? So I went to a teacher and stood up for her to a teacher. Like, mm -hmm. so I've, I've always had her back. And I think that was like, but looking back, like her and I kind of talked a little bit. Um, and she's felt, she's made those comments like Dusty's ruined me being able to do certain things. Because I guess I was a test dummy. I did get to have, like, did get to experience some things like Rodeo Queen or what she just was never into that. Um, but said, oh, you ruined that for me where I couldn't do it. You never rodeo. Like, that wasn't something you did. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You could have. But I mean, like I said earlier, now that I'm older and I've learned more about the word perspective and what it means in life, mm -hmm. it's like, oh, okay, this makes a little more sense. And like, I had a dog my whole life. Like I've always had a dog. I got a dog. Like my dad got one when I was a baby, but it was basically mine. And I always had one where she didn't. I think she's probably had like one dog when we were growing up. And I don't think she had it for very long. So it was her perspective was that I had done everything first. And so, and ruined things for her. my perspective was that she was like the spoiled one and got whatever she wanted and could do whatever she wanted. And <laughs> The one thing that was, was like in high school, when we go to high school rodeos and stuff, there was a dance on Saturday nights and my curfew was always earlier than hers and she could stay out and she would sneak out. And uh, she, I was just hanging out with my friends. Like that's all I did was just hang out with my friends, like straight up. That's just it. And I was afraid, deathly afraid. I knew if I was not back before my curfew my dad would pull me from the rest of the rodeo and I'm not competing like I knew that like no ifs ands or buts about it like you don't even push it don't don't push it and but her like she'd get later or whatever and I was like this is like why does she get later like she's younger than me like you know and so she you um, mean they'd let her be later yeah like oh. she always committed to me it was it weird like I felt like my dad raised me my mom raised my sister and my parents raised my brother so was your mom kind of the head of the household instead of dad? Uh, both. I mean, they work together as a team on a lot of things, but I mean, we, they don't fight. And then it was literally, literally it was um, like dad raised me, mom raised my sister, my parents raised my brother. Wow. But one said for the, and like if my, I got in trouble by my mom, like my mom literally just had my dad discipline me basically. Hmm. And it was crazy and that's just how I always seen things like what and that was that approval thing I guess and I remember being in high school and we were at a rodeo in like 
Reno or something like that. And I love I Reno. Did, I love that. So like I I did well. Like I didn't do I placed in the events where you didn't need to have a horse. Like it wasn't horsepower that won you. Like it was your ability that mm-hmm. won you. Like that's what it was. And so I placed and I was in the average and oh I don't remember. I think it was like goats or breakaway or something like that. Like one of those events. And I just remember my mom like calling somebody and my sister had hit like a barrel that day and hit a pole, like didn't have a good weekend and still bragged about my sister's weekend and didn't say anything about mine. I remember calling home to my dad because I had his phone at this time. So I'm like, you know, junior, senior in high school, I've already been working. So I have my own phone. Um, I was heartbroken. My dad's like, walk away, be the bigger person. Like, don't, you know how it is. You, you just know how everything is and it works. It's fine. And, you know, and there was different situations like that a lot where, um, my mom did train my sister's horse though, but I didn't see it as that, you know what I mean? I, didn't see, I, I kind of just like never really put those pieces together. My mom is the one that trained my sister's horse. I trained mine. Um, and I was still living with the last, like my sophomore year of high school. When I, uh, went to silver state finals, my horse had gotten a bruise on her foot, but she was sound. She just was, and had worked through it, but I didn't get a rider like I needed to. And so you didn't get what I didn't get a rider and have her in shape because she was sore coming into right. it because okay. of the bruise. Um, and so I remember like, and I ended up placing, like I walked in the gate one day and she actually stepped on a rock walking in the gate, like walking into it. And so she was a little sore. So she kind of like lost gas on me, but we still placed, like we went from 21st to 14th to 7th, um, but we made short run and everything. And I remember my sister said, you probably, your horse probably would have been better if she had a different rider. So that always stuck with me, like always stuck with me. Oh like God. I'm not good enough. Like, and I, I struggled a lot my freshman year because I was trying to prove, like, I was just trying to prove myself my junior and senior year. I'm trying to just prove myself senior year of high school. I basically ran horses that I shouldn't have been running. I was running my barrel horse in roping and I was roping, I was running barrels on my barrel or my rope horse. And then I was I traded a barrel horse at one time for a younger horse that was green that I just went and used because if I didn't do well, it wasn't because I wasn't crippling my horse. It was just because my horse that's out there event. Like, so I just kind of messed off because of that. Like, but I loved it. I loved horses. I loved, they were my saving grace. I just never put the effort out into it and my passion and like really just dove into them as hard as I should have, because, um, I'll never be as good as my sister. I'll never get the approval. Um, and then I'm going to hell because of my passion, like what a combo, right? What a combo. So then going forward, when did you meet your husband? So actually I've never been married. Um, I never was been married, but when, no, okay, so not, what so, do we call him? You're significant dad whatever um so that was actually back in 2014 um I graduated in 08 so in high school the end of high school and then um I dated a couple of guys who I shouldn't have dated they were older than me and um which didn't help the low self-esteem like they played on it like made me feel great but also manipulated me very easily um like 22 and 16 and then after high school, I was dating someone a couple of years older than me, um, not much, but a couple of years older than me and already, you know, still like that worthiness, like someone gave me attention and 
like feeling that void. I was always feeling that void of that relationship that I didn't have with my mom and my sister both. Cause I wanted that relationship. Almost like a love addiction. Mm-hmm. It was bad. It was, it was bad. And I didn't realize until years later that actually to be honest with you, like the love that I was really actually seeking more than anything was God's love. But it wasn't that God's love wasn't there for me to take. It was never that his love was not there for me to take. It was the fact that I felt I was unworthy of his love. So I didn't seek it. So I was seeking it in other ways. So is, okay. So when did, when did you start using other methods to ease your pain? So, um, let's say after high school, I drank some, like I'd go on like binges where I drank and would get drunk and just have fun with friends. Like nothing like crazy. Still function, still went to my job. So that all that stuff, but I would, you know, get drunk three, four nights of the week. Um, and then I'd stop. And so that's kind of just leading up to it. So then I move, um, you know, I, I'm in a, my first abusive relationship in 2012, 2013, um, I'm one of 12 horse trainers in the nation for a competition. Um, okay. I don't get to go. Yeah. I'm one of 12 horse trainers in the whole nation for a competition to train an thoroughbred. Okay. So an X-race horse to turn into a barrel horse and do a freestyle with it. Okay. I, I end up not being able to go because an abusive relationship. Um, I really don't feel like I have anywhere to go. Uh, he's spending money. I don't have anything. Like I'm losing stuff. I ended up having to walk away from the 10 acres I was running to own. I lost my truck. Um, it was very controlling. Like, um, when I, I had to quit one job I was at, and then I, I went and got a waitress job. He told me straight up that if I had a waitress job and anyone flirted with me, he'd kill them and beat me. And if anybody ever tried to help me, like he just beat them. So I was scared for somebody to help me because I didn't want something bad to help happen to them because of me. Mm-hmm. Um, so bad situation. Like I actually have a C in my neck, like the chiropractor, when I got x-rays, when I first started getting adjusted, said, you have a C curve in your neck? Like someone who got whiplash real bad. But the way that they described it and the way that like my neck goes, mm-hmm. I was like, no, that's from being choked so many times. Like I get, I almost passed out a couple of times. And the only, the only reason I didn't pass out and just quit and give up was because I knew if I did, then he'd kill my horses or turn them out in the desert and nobody would know where they were. Is it was did he have a thing about your horses? Was he jealous? Uh, he threatened that um he would just turn them out in the desert or kill him and kill my dog. So And that was just to control you because he knew how much you loved your horses. For sure. And it was, you know, when it was a matter of um, because when he get mad, like there's one day, I don't even know. I have no idea what happened. I didn't realize until later that there was a chance he was on drugs. I didn't know much about drugs. I was young. I was naive. I didn't know. I hadn't been around it, but he came home and like choked me and threw me up against like the door and he had me by the neck and he like hit all the way around my head. And I literally thought I was going to die that day. He hit um, all the way around your head? Yeah. Like, so like right by my head and just like outlined like my walls. head. No, the door and broke the oh, door. So like my bot, my head like was outlined through there. And, you know, I was went he to drunk? bed. Was he drunk uh, or on drugs? Um, I think he was on drugs. I don't know. I don't have proof that he was. I don't know. Um, I did hear later that he'd gotten into drugs. 
Um, but I didn't know, like I had no clue at this time. I just thought I didn't do something. Like I try to have dinner ready. I try to have the house clean. I try to have everything done and like cater to him. So it didn't happen. So um, when he did that, what was his reason? Like what, it, began, how did it begin? It just, uh, so he got mad at me one day, uh, because no, I mean, like that night when he was doing that, I don't, I actually don't remember what mm-hmm. happened there. Okay. I don't remember actually a lot of why different things went off. Like it would literally just be me asking a simple question or something wasn't done right when he wanted it or. So you um, guys were living together. Yeah, we were living together. Okay. And so, you know, there was, how a, old were you at this time? I 23. Okay. 23 years old. So, um, you know, I go to, I go to bed at night thinking God, I'm still alive. I wake up in the morning praying to God that's not the day I die. Like there was a lot of gratitude, but a lot of fear too. Um, so fast forward, um, August, I finally get to be able to go away because I lost my truck and I'm not going to that competition. So I come home. Um, how did you get away? Um, my dad finally came and got me. Like, uh, it was a, I didn't want to move in with my aunt and her boyfriends because I knew that like her boyfriend, there was drama with him and I didn't want to deal with that stuff. I just wanted to like recharge and like I said, my mom and I didn't have a good relationship and, um, it was kind of almost like you have to have a job before you can come home. And I was like, I just, I can get a job. Like as soon as I get home, I just needed to get away from where I was at. So like, it was, it was a, a lot of mixed emotions for me. So I get home in August and I had told myself that I won't be there by the end of the year. I'll be gone, long gone. Um, so I'm home from August till at home or out of this life just at home just at home like I was like I'm I gotta leave I gotta go somewhere I don't know what I'm doing I don't have a clue that was set in me and so for months uh it was it's your fault that you went through the abuse you should have done something sooner you it's your fault you got hit you're you know what I mean who told nobody you that stuff uh siblings you know and if you're not in it and you've never been in it and like you're primed a certain way like I get it but what people don't understand is abuse. Like it takes people nine times, you know, seven to nine times to get out of an abusive relationship if they ever do because of the dependency, especially when they, um, I just learned the other day that gaslighting and those kind of things, those like, you know, it starts out in the super highs, super highs, like, you know, they love bomb you and then they drop down and then you have the super lows and then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And the love bomb again, mm-hmm. that is actually more addictive than cocaine is resources have done studies on stuff and it's more addictive than cocaine and normally and, those gaslighters are narcissistic too yes 100 percent. and i had no idea what that even was and i had no idea about these tendencies and i didn't you know what i never understood or like i was always a person who like my feelings weren't valid like there was something wrong with me i don't know what i'm feeling like my like it's it's something i'm doing that's creating these things or creating these reactions from people so fast forward and it's Christmas Eve of 2013 and I am done. I am over everything. I hauled my horses to Vegas. I sold uh, all but my, obviously during that time you made some money and you got, yeah, Yeah, I worked for, I I actually worked for an at-risk teen center and I loved it. It was a ranch working cattle ranch and it was with teens and I was working with boys. And the thing is the hardest part about that was who they thought I was and who I thought I was was two different people 
because I worked right by them. I held boundaries. I pushed them to be better. I, you know, showed them what a woman can be and taught like my boundaries. I held with them and the respect that they gained from working with me helped them with the respect that they had for their mothers, their sisters, their grandmas, the way they treated the women in their life, the babysitters that they were hooking up with. Like they, they seen a woman in a different light and they just thought I was like this, some awesome person. And I taught them horsemanship and they just thought I was just so cool. And that didn't help you feel better. Uh, 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 because inside of me, inside of me, I'm like, I'm a mess. Like you guys don't understand. Like I just went through all of this stuff and I'm not this person that's got it all together. Like you think I do, but I could never tell them. Right. Like, so that was another, like, so what about your dad though? Because you were close to him and he's the one that you called right to get out. I just don't talk about feelings and emotions. Family. When you called your dad and said, I I need to come home. He went and got Um, you, I'm assuming. um, Well, not right away. That was, it was after I lost my truck and trailer. That's what I mean. So, yeah. So, so you mean mean while this stuff was going on, you would talk to him? A little bit vaguely, not like I never went deep in. I touched the surface with it and just kind of seen where it was you know what I mean how they would react or feel and I just never felt like um like I just felt like I couldn't come home to my mom right like I couldn't come I had to figure something else out so I stuck it out or I had to fix things first and not be a screw up and that was so I just never really talked to anybody about it so did you have bruises and stuff on your face um no he actually didn't hit me in the face okay um that relationship did not hit me in the face um and like even though when I got choked and knocked out like I didn't really have bruises on my neck nothing like significant and then I really felt like I you know if I said something like um I just knew like if I called the cops or something then he'd come back after me again right Right. so I was very what somebody thinks yeah so and I just thought well it's gonna be even worse so don't do it so like I said, we're, we're at Christmas Eve. I take my horses down. I sell them all of my good horse. I had, um, had somebody take her to go ride her. Just, they took her and I use that money to buy myself a ticket to Kansas from Vegas to Kansas with my mom's oldest sister that I did not know. I thought I was moving to Kansas with my aunt. I literally, that was my plan. Where I'm living in Kansas, uh, Coffeeville. So it's like this little town. That's, um, yeah, it's just a little town. I have family in Hayes. Okay. So I actually hauled milk into uh, Wichita a lot. Okay. That was part of my Kansas story, actually. So <laughs> I, I really did think I'm moving into Kansas with my aunt, not my aunt. Like we, we, we go to out my cousin, my cousin and her daughter are there. I don't really know these guys because they live across the country. Like just didn't have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. And don't think I'm going to, living with my aunt so we go out to dinner in Tulsa they pick me up in Tulsa we go to dinner in Tulsa and we drive to Coffeeville and we get to Coffeeville and I thought we were just gonna go get my aunt's car for my aunt to like you know go to the house because they just met and went you know or my cousin's car whatever no it turns out I'm getting with my cousin and I'm gonna go live at my aunt's house but my aunt was living with her boyfriend didn't know that oh so and you know like I've been talking to this guy from out there from farmers only because I just that I just have to make you laugh like that's the best part of it all <laughs> so I was talking to this guy well I'm like in Kansas for I don't know month or whatever if that 
and at one point the water heater breaks in the in the house and so I go and stay with this guy because and you know I'm kind of getting pushed well why don't you just like you know give him a shot he wants to date you he's got money he's got a farm and he's successful blah blah and I'm like I just don't feel like that's the one still really needed to heal me but I didn't understand I needed to heal me like I had that feeling but I didn't understand that feeling so I ended up um going there with him and then I ended up getting a job out there at a preschool and I was a para and then um I actually ended up started riding I ended up staying out there and then I rode horses out there and um then I ended up keep your horses when you travel. I didn't have horses I didn't take horses with me across the country I sold you had horses in Kansas so did you buy them in Kansas I didn't have horses in Kansas I had horses in Oklahoma so when I was yeah so I rode horses for a guy and then long story short that didn't work out either um it was going well and I I ended up uh, living on a ranch and I was a basically like I just trained horses for some people but it was like very safe I felt very safe like there was no inclination that anything was wrong or bad or anything like it was great like we it was a great situation very safe I actually felt like I had people in my corner and I went on a date with a guy and then it went to shit went to shit yeah got kicked out and everything and they were kicked out of the house that I was living in and everything over this guy yeah it was uh, a mess so, um, yeah, so fast forward and then I go back to my aunt's house and then, and actually staying with my aunt at this point. Um, and then I moved up to like Northern Kansas, their farm, and I was helping haul milk from the Amish and stuff. And I posted some things on a barrel horse site about like doing equine flexion therapy clinics. Cause I knew a person. So I was trying to set up clinics for another guy and this lady was like, Hey, you can ride barrel horses, um, down here for us. And, you know, by this, by Oklahoma city and more tornado central of Oklahoma. And so she drove like six hours and came and got me because, you know, my life is at this point, I feel like my life is a shit show. I have nothing to prove for. I've worked my ass off for people. I'm getting nothing. I'm going nowhere. Like this whole thing I planned to heal myself isn't working. So I moved to Kansas. I'm in can or in moved to Oklahoma. I'm in there for like a month and I ended up meeting, uh, another guy who owned a ranch and that's, um, my son's dad, my kids' dad. And um, I was riding rope horses with him and he became my best friend, like had my back. I moved on the ranch, had my own, like living in the horse trailer. I, you know, it was set up for the most part, like, and it was a great ordeal, but he was my best friend, like helps me through the holidays when I'm hyperventilating it was my first holiday with the family felt like nobody wanted me and just had my back like made me feel like I was loved and important and safe and like all that kind of stuff and then you know that's when the highs and lows started and I started using meth just for fun like no, wait wait that's too fast okay so he sounds like this really great guy yeah and then what happened I I don't know. I think we both were actually just there for each other. We had each other's back as we both were just going through stuff. And like he had stuff on both sides. Like he was supposed to be uh, what I was being told. Okay. What I was being told Mm -hmm. um, was, you know, and I seen like 
them not like each other at all. But I was being told they were getting Ooh. a divorce. He was, he was married okay. and he was supposed to be getting a divorce. Okay. You know, they were separated what I was told. Like, and the only reason I'm young, I'm you know, been through all my crap. Like How I have no years difference was there with you guys? Uh, 16. 16? There's 16 years difference between us. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. So um, like, I just believed everything he said because I had no reason not to believe him. Right. Like no reason not to believe him. He had my back. And so I, there was just a lot of like ups and downs. And uh, when I confronted something or would ask something, like it was like, I got shut down. Like, how dare you like almost ask those questions. Right. Like, and so it just kind of got but messy. He, but he wasn't a physical abuser. Uh, became. Became. But so when it started, it sounds like he was more of an emotional mm-hmm. abuser. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. And, you know, and then I got, it got into those points to where, I, you know, um, I didn't understand it. But I, I mean, I was like, no, I want to answer. Like, answer me. You know what I mean? I'm fighting with my inner self. Of like this, I shouldn't be in this situation. I shouldn't be making these choices. Like, what is wrong with you? Like, you know, I'd look myself in the mirror and not even recognize myself. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you in this situation and accepting this? Like, you would never do this. Like, you know what I mean? I would never be with somebody who was in any kind of relationship. Like, just don't like, that's not me. But I was, I was so lost and I was so I felt so weak that that was my strength. He was my strength. And I feel like all of your growing up years, you lacked self-love. Oh, a hundred percent. There's a picture somewhere. One day I'm going to find this picture. <laughs> it's the cutest little girl. She's like four or five years old. And my hair is long and blonde. And it's up like this part of my hair is up in a ponytail and a scrunchie. And there's long curls. And then I have like the bangs, like the, like the whatever bangs right there that are big and uh, fluffy. And um, like my scrunchie is pink. And then I have this like red dress on and it's got flowers on it. And I think my grandma made it. And I have white sandals on and I'm walking in our place in Vegas. So like I said, I'm five, maybe six, like early six, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm just like the happiest kid ever. Like, I'm just so happy and I'm smiling and I'm just like, like could almost be a model kid. Like my hair was phenomenal and just my smile lit up the room and you could just like, it's just a happy kid. And somewhere after that, I lost her. I lost that confidence and that happiness and that preppiness and that like it lost her, like no clue. And that's who I'm working to become back to like that fire that was in me once as who I'm working to become and be who that little girl needed. Okay. So he emotionally abused you and then it became physical. It did. And was this after you had a child together or before? So it was before. Um I tried to leave a couple times and it was almost like we both were trauma bonded to each other. Like not good um and when I did leave a couple times like he stirred the pot like so I came back like I came back or ran my name through the ground so I came back um but yeah so it was like I got punched in the nose a couple times because I pushed around uh his birthday and the holidays which is seasons he don't like um because of trauma he never healed of his own um but I did push like for attention and 
you know, and then there was different times where we got into it and um, like I fought back and then it wasn't until I did try to fight back. Mm-hmm. I did try to fight back. Try to fight back, like just make a statement like you're not going to do this to me or whatever and mm-hmm. or just stir it more. Um, I got kicked out a couple times and then I'm 21 hours away from family. So it was like, even in like the cold of winter, like he would do that. And he's like, you're not allowed in the hospital, your stuff, like just go somewhere. So I go out to the field and like, I was like, well, this is where I'm going to die. Like, I'm just going to sit out in this cold for hope. And, you know, I hope I, hope I do die kind of thing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, what, be, what was fun, just like using drugs for fun, um, became a numbing thing. Well, when did that start? Uh, when I first moved down there, like it was fun. Like it was just for fun, like sporadical. Um, and then I don't know, 2015, somewhere like late 2015 is more when I got into it a little heavier. So was it always the same drug or did it start? So, was there a gateway? It, um, no. So basically it was, it was mostly always meth. And the only reason that when it wasn't meth was we did have cocaine a couple of times because there was no meth, uh, could get meth. Um, that was not so, good. So where who got, who got you, who got you your first meth? Him? Yeah. Or were you both together and somebody offered? No, no. So he got it and said, here, let's try this. This isn't towards him, but like, so in the Western world, like the Western culture, like you are tough, like you be tough. Like, first off, if you're a woman, like you still just be, you can work just as hard as the men do, if not harder and still be looking good. Right. Like, kind of thing and mm-hmm. I mean I was I've always been called manly because started like in uh middle school when I threw a bell of hay over like a four or five foot fence where other boys were you don't look manly you know that now don't you now I do I didn't know okay. that then. okay I struggled with that for a long time like don't call me manly don't say it. and even though I could work out work guys like don't tell me that like it I had a complex for a while like it was bad um so like I just remember uh like seeing some of this and then like there came a point to where I started like clicking and watching like when his uses would go up or how it was like fluctuating or things in his family or whatever mm-hmm. and I kind of seen because he was but it always came off very strong very like I can do anything I can build anything I can do this da, 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 you know what I mean mm-hmm. obviously he was trying to achieve something too um super talented like hands down I will be honest with you like a gifted gifted soul you know what I mean? Very gifted, very talented, but I don't think he ever felt that way. And you know, that trauma, the trauma stuff, like you don't go with, like it is, it is a bitch. So for me, um, and my use, um, it was like, I had a workload. If I could do my workload and take care of all my stuff on the ranch and could help build the barn and what my responsibilities were, and I could take some of his workload off then he wouldn't be such an asshole. And then we could rope and have fun and like, like enjoy life. So, but I got to do this or I got to go a little bit extra. I got to fight. You know what I mean? So I was you know, like, I cooked, I cleaned, I, you know, fed horses. I took care of cows. I helped build the barn, like whatever I needed to do, I did. And we had walking pneumonia at one time and I still was the one taking care of the animals. This was back before, like I was using a lot, but I mean, I had that, I'm a people, people pleaser. Like I've been a people pleaser my whole life. Um, and that's just, from the, I don't want to, I don't want to piss people off, like, hey, competition. But so, like, just to go back a little bit into when I first moved to Oklahoma, um, 
I had gotten a horse, a barrel horse, um, and super good barrel horse, like super powerful. But when I moved from the city to uh, the ranch, I was riding rope horses. Well, I wasn't going to be running barrel horses. I was going to be roping. So I had an opportunity. I tried to trade a lady um, for my barrel horse for a younger, like nice bred horse. This is younger, but it was more my style of what I'd be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, she loved the horse, but then there was a whole bunch of health issues. Not going to go into all that. It was a mess. So I get back this skinny, nasty, crippled horse and have to give her back her, her horse, um, her two-year-old that was healthy and looked great. Um, so anyways, long story short, I ended up trading that barrel horse for a like 12 year old, I think at the time and big, pretty blue roan, like he's gorgeous. And I cried when I traded for him. I was so happy for him. This big old blue, like gorgeous, just like, he's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I named him frog. It was an inside joke with my son's dad and I, because when my son's dad was like, I'm pretty sure he was high off of coughing medicine. Like, he never took that kind of stuff. And we'd been sick for days, like days. And it was bad, bad sick. And, was it NyQuil? Uh, no, he had actually finally gotten something from the doctor. I didn't. Oh, probably had coding in it. Yeah. And so he like woke up and he was like the chicken goes, uh, up and down, up and down. And the frog goes round and round and round and round or something like that. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Like what in the, <laughs> I think he was bored just trying to get a reaction, like make me laugh too. And so that always was just like something that stuck out. And like, I kind of thought, well, I'll name my next horse frog whenever I get one, you know what I mean? So I did, I named him frog <laughs> months later. I found out, you know what frog stands for? Fully rely on God. Oh, cool. So the next, like from 2015 until 2019, when I left Oklahoma, that horse was my saving grace. So up and downs, up and downs. Like I had that horse, I was going to sell him a couple times and I was going to move to the city, screw horses, screw rodeo, screw all my passions. I don't care anymore. And that horse always looked me in the soul and helped me through. He knew my darkest secrets. He knew what I was going through. He knew when I had bad days, um, when I needed to step up, like I needed to be a better rider. I needed to be more competitive and trust myself. He did things to make me do that. He would act out in ways that would make me do it, but do it in a way that would build my confidence. But if I was like struggling, he actually would like take care of me. And there was a point in there where he like straight up took care of me. Like, um, like didn't push me into a way that it would be bad, like, and set me off, set me spiraling. Like he had my back. Um, there was a time where I actually, I don't know what was wrong with me. I wasn't pregnant or anything. And I wasn't using really back then at this point in this uh, situation. And um, I just was like, I'd get dizzy for no reason. And like, just lightheaded out of nowhere. And like, just like something was wrong. I got an imbalance of some kind. Doctors couldn't find anything when I went and got tested. Um, but my horse knew when they would come on and he would just kind of like start like head into the arena and he would like kind of stop. If we were like work in a workout or something doing different drills and stuff. He would just like stop and like not act up. So horse, like I said, it's had my back. Um, and so get hit in the head. Uh, no. no. So it wasn't concussions from concussions. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to fall off the horses and hit your head. Uh, not really like a couple of times, but not, not recently up to that. Like it'd been a long time. So I think part was dehydration. I think part was, I was running myself on low on all aspects of my life. Um, I, 
this was actually right before I started feeling uncomfortable even riding horses. There was a point in this whole situation where I didn't even feel comfortable walking a horse. And horses have always been my saving grace. But it was that emotional, I think, down spiral. Okay. Like that start of it. And I didn't listen to my body. And so I think this, I, it was a bunch of little things that I never listened to. I just kind of was like tucking on the rug, brush on the rug. It's fine. Be tough. Just go forward. You're fine. Um, so in this span of time, um, like Kim, I, so his mom has a stroke and I helped take care of her. And, um, that was a lot of stress for him. Like a lot of, a lot of things were going on and he dabbled in some other things, um, and started getting really mean for no reason. Um, like mean, mean, like beat me with a stick, mean, like bruises all over my body. I try to leave him. Um, we weren't really a thing, you know, we were like, we weren't together, but we were like, I couldn't like leave him. If that makes sense. I don't know how to explain that to you. This was before we were like a thing, like before there was even any. This is when we were friends. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So like, I try to leave and like, I helped all whatever you needed. Like I took care of anything, you know what I mean? Like just my and so I was talking to this person and I actually went to leave like I went to um move out and um at one point he like beat me up and down with I bruises all over my body broke my phone all this kind of stuff and I lied and I told people that the bruises on my body was from a horse accident how you get bruises that look like a stick on you I'll never know from a horse accident but that's what I said Mm, and they probably didn't believe you I didn't say anything so I did finally end up leaving like a week or so later and then um and I took my horse with me like my horse they we they met us at the end of the driveway it's dark um and it's a mess like it's a mess and so long story short like I leave with them get out um next is this he's running my name through the ground like in the muck and the mirt like it's nasty Um, so I like go back to make things right because I don't want to like ruin, like ruin my name because I don't really, you know, like I'm new to Oklahoma, but I haven't done anything to like ruin my name. And I had a pretty decent name in Oklahoma at this time. So like, I was in this like confusion mode, like, do I stay over here? Like he's telling me all this stuff about them, making up stuff about them and running my name through. And I'm like, oh no, I got to fix it. Like you know and so I went back to fix it and took my horse back with me then I ended up leaving again like a few weeks a couple weeks later whatever long story short this was a crap show and the people that I was staying with were told me that they were going to help me get my horse back and I would have to just you know say that I signed something over to them and they were going to go like show him that this like police report or like this document or whatever that they had bought the horse and that so he was holding their horse for him it was, it was a mess. Um, so then he tells them all this kind of stuff that I've said and like elaborated and made things even worse. And so like they conspired together. And, uh, one point in my life, I was in the second story of a house with three women around me and in the corner and over here's the balcony and like, can't get out the door. They have tasers and stuff in their purses. Like they just always carried guns and tasers with them. Like no big deal. We're in Oklahoma and they're from like Pahrump. Uh, Nevada so um but yeah they and so when they were trying to talk to me like I was showing emotion like trying to express like honesty and be honest and real with them and if I showed an emotion like they're like you can't cry like that's weakness and so then I didn't show emotion because I'm in fight mode and they're like well you're not showing emotion like what's wrong with you 
Oh, this game like up and down like this I'm like freaking out mentally I'm like I'm, I'm gonna die like I'm kind of scared for my life at this point basically they tell me that I need to check into a mental institute so I was allowed to use my phone that like it didn't have cell service I was on the wi-fi and so I used it and I got a hold of uh, a mutual friend of my ex-husband ours to come get me from the city he come down and I explained everything that was going on to him and he's like okay so he's like yeah I'll take her to the hospital I got her we did not go to the hospital we did not go he's like we got in the car and I told him everything like I just spilt and he's like you're fine you just need away from all the bullshit and I was like yes I'm like I'm I just need and I was like I was ready to go to the hospital just for a break Mm -hmm. I wanted a three-day sabbatical like I've heard of people doing that like take me away at this point I don't and let me process right let me process whatever I'm going through and so I can get myself out and figure out my crap so then X comes back comes to the city finds me like tracks me down finds me comes knocking on the door I thought it was somebody else it was him and just being all loving and like had my back and like I got you like we ended up having to fight for my horse got my horse like Cause they were trying to say, well, we stole that horse and they were trying to take him, even though I was out of the picture, they were going to take my horse. We thought we, I mean, I got to keep my horse. My horse has been through a couple different, um, custody battles actually. Gosh. Um, so we fast forward and then, um, you know, 2000, so this is 2016, 2017. Um, I'm not at the top of my game the first of the year. Like I'm on point. I'm competing better than I have. I'm riding better than I ever have. Um, I get pregnant with Roper. Don't know I'm pregnant. Um, so my life is great. Like, okay, but who'd you get pregnant by? Uh, is that the one that, uh, came and rescued me? The one that the, my friend, the connection, the abuser. That came and got you from the situation and helped you out. No, 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 not him. Not the one that came and got me and like rescued me out of that situation. The one that came to the city. So like not our mutual friend, but the one that I'd already lived with before and everything. Okay. That that Um, had beat you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like life had been great. Like no fiascos, no nothing. Like life is all roses and sunshine, I guess. Why do you think you went back with him? Um, I didn't love myself. I didn't love myself. I didn't think. Um, I wanted to fix things and make whatever was supposed to work or whatever was supposed to look good. Like I wanted to um, become this competitor that I had envisioned myself as. I wanted to become this horseman that I had envisioned myself to be and I was learning to be. Um, I really didn't have anywhere to go per se and I didn't want to come back home a failure. But you were someplace. Uh, Not safe place. I wasn't safe. So the the guy that saved you, he wouldn't have kept you safe? Uh, Mutual friend of my kids' dad. Oh. my yeah it was my friend's dad best friend I called him because that's the only person I had to come get me I had nobody I had nobody in Oklahoma so he let your ex know oh yeah okay so right. so then you then he comes and he gets you back and then you guys obviously have sex and then you get pregnant but you don't yeah. know you're pregnant no so I'm pregnant and then so I'm using it this time because I am numbing for myself so you went back right? to using again yeah so and this is when it kind of got more of like more of a numb effect like still handling everything still numbing like handling myself like but numbing from my emotions and like how I was feeling and 
that loss, like I was so lost and just didn't know what to do or where to go or how to go, or even if I could go or, you know, it's kind of gone sideways a couple of times. So, um, here we are and it's like midsummer, and I'm having like these, my horse makes it to the finals. The girl that I ended up giving my horse to a little girl while I was in Oklahoma and she takes her to the final little britches finals. And I go and watch her, but I don't get a watch. No, it's a different one. It was my, the one horse I didn't sell when I moved to Kansas that I gave to somebody to rent Right. back to my parents. And then I actually gave her to another little girl, like just straight up gave her, gave her to a little girl to compete on. I could have sold her, but I just gave her. Um, and so I go watch them and I'm up there with everybody and we end up going home early and I don't get to watch her compete. And um, it's like 4th of July area. And I just remember being so upset. Like that was something I really wanted to watch and I didn't get to do it for me. And like, now I'm a bad person for even wanting to. And like, it's the fights on kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm being selfish for wanting to do that or being upset that I didn't get to do it. So there's a lot of like emotions raising. And so I just kind of went to myself, like, not that I was doing anything. Like I actually wasn't even I don't think I was high that day, but like, I just went out to pasture myself and just like hung by me, like did me like turn into sunwind. And, uh, it was always one thing or another, right? Like this is when there started being like way more highs and lows. And I'm trying to like strategically plan an exit strategy across the country with my horse, have his, all of his cog and stuff, taking care of all of his health stuff. He needs to travel me, like make it very safe and very secure out, right? Like and so we here we go like fall comes around and I was working like I was on like I said at the top of my game and I was actually working the frog horse and I was working on roping and I hadn't been really and he's different than the horse I was competing on and you know placing on and he went to bucking and I came off of him because I was just like kind of just hanging out trying to get a feel for him Mm -hmm. and the battle hit my butt okay Okay. Mind you, so for like months, all summer, my my ribs, these couple ribs is right back here. You can't see, but a couple ribs in the back always felt like they were out, and I needed to go to the chiropractor. But it kind of had like this, like I don't really want to go. So last time I went to the chiropractor, he like had to literally get on my back and put his knee on my back to pop me. It was awful, and I hurt so bad afterwards. It was not good, not a good experience. So something always came up where I didn't go get adjusted. Okay. So then I have this accident and I hit my butt on the saddle horn. I'm like, okay, so that's why I feel this way. Um, and then at one, like in September, this is like in August, like in September, I was trying to make a dog bed and had a table saw. And I had these old cedar like branches that I was slicing Well, the blade was really bad on it and it kicked and it cut the tip of my thumb off. Like my thumbs are not the same length. Some of it's grown back. Um, that gives me the chills. Like, and I was fine. Like it didn't bug me. I didn't go to the hospital or anything. Like it just cut the like meat of it off and like, um, couldn't go to the hospital because I didn't have insurance or anything. And so like, I just started eating like chips and salsa or like different things like that. Cause it was easy for me to eat by myself without anybody. Cause I had my thumb wrapped, you know, and I was healing and I couldn't really do much with it. It was my right hand too. Um, so I, literally was just taking care of myself and nobody like nobody was there to help me right like nobody was going to go out of their way to help me out so I ate so much hot salsa like I was addicted to that crap and I just and I thought this is why I had heartburn so I've got hip pains and I kept putting my hip pains out to the fact that I'd hit that saddle even though like now we're going a couple months of this I'm like just because I didn't go to the chiropractor and 
heartburns because I ate so much dang hot, like hot, hot, spicy salsa, like way more than I probably even should have as a human period. And so, and then you fast forward and I'm working mules. I'm helping my kids' grandpa train these mules that are freaking psychotic, trying to jump (laughs) fences. And so I'm just really knocking everything up to that. I had a reason for everything. My ups and downs was I was in so much stress. I was carrying so much loads and I didn't understand why I was having highs and lows. And now I'm starting to have like, I'm crazy. So at one point, the end of October and then into November, my birthday's November 10th and I just hate life. I just feel like I'm a worthless piece of crap. The world would be better without me. And everybody would just be happy if I was gone. Like everybody, my family would never miss me. Um, everybody in Oklahoma, like it'd be fine. Everyone would be so fine. Um, they would be better off too. But not only was I gone, but my horse was gone because I knew if I was gone, they would, you know, torture that horse. So there was a cliff on the back side of the property, and I'd actually planned to run my horse off of it. I was going to take him and I both out. That's the secret that I didn't tell him. It's the only secret my horse never knew was that nobody, 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 nothing knew that I wanted to end my life to that extreme. Nobody knew I had a plan, nothing. I didn't share it with anybody. So on November 10th of 2017, you know, this, we'd already like kind of disconnected. We were back to just friends, like, like you do your stuff. I'll do my stuff, like stay away from each other. Like, um, it was bad. Um, there in Oklahoma with them with him so but we just like it but was he lived in the same house yeah mm-hmm. it was just kind of you do your own thing and um he was like I said like he was with he never actually divorced or separated that was just the crap he told me and the stories of why and yeah, the were you living in his house uh-huh but they didn't sleep together so I didn't wait a minute she was there too mm-hmm. it's a mess it's a it's a crap hole mess and, and when I was told anything to you, mm-hmm. no, do you think she was in on this? Oh, it was a mess. We'll just say it's a mess. Do you think she was in on it? Uh, sometimes I wonder, sometimes I think so. It would make sense. Mm-hmm. Either that or she was crazy. I don't know at this point. Or both. Or they, and uh, you know, it was a matter of, I was told it was a money ordeal while they were together. And if one person left, you'd lose everything. Like whoever left would lose everything. And that's how it made it like make sense of me. And every time I challenged or not, not even challenged, like I just was curious, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. trying to understand, you right. know, I was feeling awful, you know what I mean? And then I started thinking I was crazy for thinking these ways or questioning him. Like, how dare you question him? How dare you was think he that? sleeping with her? Oh, I, I think so. He said no. He in your room? No, he's on the couch. Ah. Yeah, so shit show. Shit okay. show. Mess. Okay. So I'm like, I have, you know, had a plan for my horse to get to Nevada. Um, um, have some very, very high doubts that I can get him and I out of here safely, especially with who I was going to get a ride to Nevada with um, to get me away and get us out and away. Um, wait a minute before you go on with that what stopped you from running off a cliff with him oh that's where that's where like all this goes together we're going yeah okay it's all it's all together so i'm feeling like there's actually no hope there's no fake popcorn i'm like i'm not gonna get out of here like i'm not gonna get out of this thing safe like 
everyone's just better off and it'll just be drama for that person if they help me get out of there like you know like who wants to do that you know what I mean who no one deserves that so mm-hmm. it's my birthday my 20th birthday and I'm laying in bed and no one's home it's just me I don't have a phone card like my I was that was part of like why I did a bunch of the stuff I did was to have a phone card for my phone nobody can call me nobody can get a hold of me for my birthday like I just feel like crap right like what a great 20th birthday I'm a fuck up like I can't talk to anybody nobody cares like and I've done this to myself like this is my fault and if you've ever used drugs like you're going nowhere so there's all these like negative things like I let somebody abuse me I did drugs I am worthless I'm you know what I mean? Like you can't come back from this. This is, this is the stuff I'm playing in my head. And I remember laying there in my bed and I screamed a few times and I yelled and I was mad. Like, and I'm just like done. Right. And mm-hmm. I told God, I said, you got two choices, God, you got two options or I'll make the third option. One, you give me my own person for the holidays. Two, you take me out yourself or three, I'll just do it for you. And fast forward 10 days later, you can't bargain uh, with God. Oh, I thought I could. <laughs> I don't know who the heck I thought I was, but I, <laughs> God said, let me show you. Let me show you. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, it's, you know, that weekend, it was that, like, so it's Sunday the 19th, and I'd been feeling crappy all week. I, I feel constipated. It's bad. Like, sorry, but I was just like, I'm sick. Life sucks. Like, I cannot, like, I just am off. And, Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm just like not me. I feel sick. Not like sick, sick, but just like eh, sick. Yeah. But slept Saturday, Sunday. I'm like, I have to get out and go do something. I gotta go help with those mules, or it's gonna be my fault if somebody gets hurt. Like it was bad. So I'd actually uh, gotten high because I mean, I was like, I was so low energy and I had no vibe. I knew my body rejected. Like I knew like it didn't do anything for me. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going out there went out there trying to do my stuff and I did help. And so for like most of the day, I worked this crazy one, like he's psychotic trying to jump panels, like, and I'm on my heels, like pulling back on the reins like this to get him to stop. Cause we were teaching the drive. Um, so you can drive a wagon. And so they did that. Anyways, long, <laughs> so long story short, um, it's like end of the day, we're done working mules everything I've rode horses whatever I've done all this stuff all day like no big deal did my normal stuff that I normally do on a normal day um did chores all that kind of stuff and I just thought my adrenaline was wearing off okay so there's some drama up there around the ranch and I'm just like oh my goodness so I'm by myself and my body starts kind of jerking and I was like crap I'm gonna have to go to the chiropractor. I'm gonna have to just suck it up and call him. I probably pulled something working the mules. My hips been out for a long ways. Like they probably just sent it right over the cliff, right? So it's like nine, ten o'clock at night. Uh, boys' dad comes home and he's hungry, and I go make tacos. I can't even eat. Okay, I can't even eat. And I'm sitting there, and he's eating. He goes, "Why aren't you eating?" I was like, "I'm just not hungry." You know, at this point, I just think I'm still constipated. Yeah, no big deal. I'm sitting there and my body just starts going, oh, just like randomly, big old jerks. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, okay, I'm weird. Like he said I was making it up. He feels bad. Like this, he feels terrible about how all this went down. He's like, you are just being an attention horn basically. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Like the next, like within 12 hours felt awful. Okay. But 
he was mean like he's like you're just trying to get attention and you're just a drama queen and da, da, da. I'm like okay like so I went to my room and I'm jerking in bed and I'm starting to get scared at this point like what's wrong with me and I'm I was more crying like I did have pain like no pain and then it was high pain and I have a high pain tolerance and we were like at seven and eight and the more scared I got, we hit like nine a couple of times just because I was starting to get so scared. And so like played in there mm-hmm. and I was scared, like, and I was wanting to cry, but I didn't want to wake somebody up. I didn't want to piss somebody off. So I go outside and I cry and I was just in pain in the truck, just crying. And like, and I come back in and I told him at one point, I said, this doesn't stop by sunrise. You're going to have to take me to the hospital. Like something's wrong. He's like, nothing's wrong with you. You're just making it all up. And so I went to the bathroom one time and I seen blood and I was like, oh, thank God. Like, cause I'd had a light period in the spring. I had a light one in the summer, like, but I, they were months apart. So like every three months kind of thing. But all the stress I was under, I just assumed that I was irregular from being stressed and dehydrated and, you know, everything going on. I didn't really think much of it. So I didn't think I could have kids. And so I go to the bathroom or go to my shower and I turn on like pretty warm, not like hot hot but war- very warm and I'm on my hands and my knees and at this point I don't care if I start my cycle I don't care if I even like release all the tension like I don't care what happens in the shower like it'll all clean up at this point just God release me and I'm begging God to release the pain I have my phone outside shower and I feel my kid I feel like like one of the contractions happen and my kid's head comes and I feel it and I'm like what the heck so I reach out my phone I text him like help I'm either having a miscarriage or I'm giving birth and no response from him next thing I pop a kid out in the shower luckily I was on my hands and my knees delivered him in the shower and I'm scared crapless I text and I said help it's a boy no response I call him and he's like what what do you want and I was like I just gave birth and he's like what to what and I was like a boy and he's alive help and he comes running down uh, and like, I'm, I'm just holding him like white kids crying. Like I'm scared. Like I'm just white, I guess. Like just what did you do with the cord? Uh, everything was still attached. Like we're still like, it sent everything came out. So it's still attached to him. I'm just holding, like, don't know what to do. Um, so he goes and wakes her up. She gets up, she comes in and she goes, oh my gosh. And she's like, okay, she called 911 and got me a blanket and all this kind of stuff. And this ambulance. is his wife. Yeah. Yep. Ambulance shows up, you know, comes and check, you know, takes us and stuff. Oh, what I didn't tell you was, so in the mix of all this pain, you know, like I'm not knowing, like I had no idea what's going on. So I went to our medicine cabinet. I hit NyQuil, uh, Benadryl, uh, anything we had in the cabinet to like ease oh the pain. Oh my gosh. And to knock me out, like I didn't care at this point. And I went, it was two rounds. They were different things. They were two rounds about an hour or two apart from each other. So um, when I had him and I get in the ambulance and they're like, hey, put him up and let him suckle. And I was like, "Uh, I can't do that. I said, I can hold him and I will, but I can't because I, and I told him everything I took. Like I was very, very honest about it. Like Mm -hmm. I was very like afraid, like crap. You know what I mean? Um, I didn't tell him I had gotten high that weekend though. but I told him everything else and so we get to the uh get there to it's a small little town uh, outside of where we were it's a little hospital and you know it was literally like when I put my son to my chest a light switch went off a whole new person showed up the person I was that you know last few days before that was gone 
and I was in a whole new mood like that like fight mode I guess mm-hmm. that's what they call it is yeah, fight yeah. mode and I was there like yeah. in present like go with it and you know I named him after my dad and my grandpa this middle name and uh oh so, like his wife was actually in there with me the only time he came in was when they did DHS did show up because my urine was hot obviously how could it not be um, but I did only tell him like the other stuff that I choked. I didn't tell him the honest truth, um, because I was scared. I didn't know what to do. And that's what I was kind of instructed to do. Um, but I went through everything DHS wanted me to do. I was very, like, I went and seen counselors. I went and went like an actual professional who can tell if you're an addict or not, like can see through all your stuff, like anything they wanted me to do. I jumped through every hurdle possible. Mm-hmm. And somehow by the grace of God, like I'm telling you, God had a hand on that baby and that's why he sent him to save my life, literally. Um, like not my son, no, nothing in the system at all. And only my urine had something in it. My blood was clean. Wow. And like I said, God, so what I didn't tell you is, well, this was born at 2.08 in the morning. I was born at 2.08 in the morning. He, I was November 10th. He's November 20th and his dad's the 30th. Hmm. God, God. So I didn't leave the situation. I stayed, I, he was in the hospital for a month, healthy little boy. He just needed to grow in size. He was three pounds and 15 ounces healthy though. Like had to be healthy to stay alive through everything I put him through. I was still riding crazy horses, doing stuff. I should not have been doing pregnant for one mind, everything else. Like just that alone, like that kid was tough and healthy and everything. But so I stayed because I was convinced my son would hate me if I left and took him away from his dad. Though everybody thought, hospital, everybody, um, wife thought that he was a one night stand with someone I met in the city that I didn't even know who he was. So I had to live with this like story I was telling everybody for so long when I didn't know that behind the scenes, people actually knew the real story because he was telling them the real story, but I didn't know that. So even when I got like confronted about it, I was like, no, like this is who his dad is. Like, which was making me even more uncomfortable. Like I was and confronted him about it. Like, why do I have to tell these stories? Why do I have to carry this lie? Like, that's not cool. Like I'm leaving, like, let's figure out co-parenting. So it came to a point where we were just going to co-parent. Let's figure out this co-parenting situation before I leave. Like that was my plan. And um, where's the wife involved in all this? There, um, I guess she knew the whole time. He told me she knew the whole time later, like years later, told me she knew the whole time. And I was like, I was lying to her the whole time because you told me she didn't know. And you told me what to tell everybody. Like, what the heck is wrong? So fast forward, I I finally leave um, because I'm being told, like, if I don't leave, they're going to take the kid away from me and basically put me on the street, right? Like, and I wasn't even doing anything. Like, I cleaned my act up that fast. Never craved, never wanted anything. But they must have known he was doing something. Your living conditions wasn't good for the baby. No, they, when I was being told that they were going to take was uh, not the state, but uh, ex and his wife were going to take the kid away from me. Oh. Yeah. So I left. So um, in other words, he was going to get custody. He was, he was going for custody. That's what they were telling me. Now I've heard multiple stories on it. So, but I went because I was afraid of that. Um, So I moved in with my kids' grandparents and that was a mess too. Was that his parents or? Okay. Yeah. So that was a mess. That must have been strange too. Oh no, that's a whole bunch of drama over there on that side. They like drama. 
Oh, they raised his son, his oldest son for him. But what I'm saying is having his his baby mom is staying with them while he's still married. Oh yeah. It was that's that's they just said that was normal for him. They didn't they expected it from him. So were they nice? It was a mess. It was a mess. Mess. Ended up they moved to a different town and I was gonna move with him to a different town, but that was a fight if I left and was that far away from him. So like it, he wouldn't get to see his son that often. So I ended up, like I said, he's 16 years older, had an older son. And so uh, his older son stayed at that same house we were living at. And I ended up staying at that same house um, and stayed there, which that was the wrong with us because um, now there's a competition because, you know, he wants to have something to do with my son, but he never had anything to really do with his oldest son. And so now the oldest son is jealous of this son and just a mess and then at, you know when all the stuff really started like raining down like hardcore um mm-hmm. I finally got into a doctor because I knew something was like wrong but I couldn't get into anywhere to get tested um I and I didn't go to the ER I was just kind of um I was like four months pregnant when I found out and again because God was trying to help me like wake the heck up and get me out and get me safe get me where I needed to go sometimes God sends us a like what are the, like those meetings where they're like intervention? This was my intervention. My youngest was my intervention. My oldest tried to be, but I didn't listen. So my youngest was my intervention. God intervened. But so. so your I, youngest is who passed away. Yes. It was my wake up call. It was my big wake up call. And so I find out I'm a high risk pregnancy. Nobody's got my back. Like nobody's helping. I'm still having a high risk. Um, so I have a short uh, cervix. Okay. So I found that out, didn't know that, like, you know, and I went into the doctor too, and I was so honest. I was like, Hey, look, um, I didn't know I was pregnant with my oldest mm-hmm. and this is how my life, like, this is, you know, and I told him everything. I was very honest about everything. I was like, can you drug test me please? And I'll do any, if you got extra drug test, like if we can go hair, nail, whatever. I'm like, I'm up for anything. Cause I knew how far back it went and I knew it was clean. I was like, can we do this before, you know? during the pregnancy so that we know um find out I'm pregnant and then find out a high-risk pregnancy find out we're further along was going to be sent to the uh city for a cerclage where they like soap your cervix or whatever to so you like stay longer but he's like it's a high risk that that'll work um but when I thought I was going to have to go to surgery nobody would help me get to the city and nobody like really cared and I basically was told hopefully it goes wrong so that the problem's taken care of hopefully this solves the problem how, uh, my, how uh, long were, or I'm sorry how how many weeks into the pregnancy were you then uh I don't I don't remember it was like four four and a half months whatever mm-hmm. that is and then so fast forward this is like in September um and then fast like forward 18 to, weeks yeah, so you like fast forward. I think I was twenty one actually, so it was more than that. So it was like pushing five, I think. So we're at six weeks or six months, and I was going to the doctor like every week, um, sometimes a couple times a week just to be checked because I was high risk. And I went and got checked; everything was good. And the doctor's like, "All right, you don't have to come back for you no, know, another week or whatever." And I sick, like I get kind of sick here, like the next day, like I just went to the doctor and the next day I'm like coughing a lot and I feel in pressure and like 
not feeling it move a lot and I'm just coughing. And so like, I feel pressure like down low, like what the heck is going on? So I call the doctor and they're like, oh, it's fine. Like if this happens, so I don't worry about it. Cause I just take their advice. So here we are in November, November 13th, like it's my birthday's the 10th. So November 13th of 18, um, I go to like, went to use the bathroom and I felt like a foot come out. Like it wasn't the same as like a head. It was almost, you know, it turns out it was breached. So um, just kind of like took a breath and kind of chilled for a minute and kind of seen. And then I kept feeling like the same, like mild contractions starting. So I got rushed to the, had someone drive me, um, my son's uh, brother's wife and her baby. So my son's sister-in-law and her baby took me to the ER. No, like, so she couldn't go in with me. She had her baby, like her newborn baby Wait with her. Your son's. Yeah. Cause he has a uh, older brother. Okay. Okay. Sixteen year Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, not mine. So, um, she takes me. I leave my oldest with his brother. Uh, called his. You know, had him call his dad and have him come get him. You know what I mean? Um, So, so is this one from the same dad? No, the same. We're in the mix of all this, and I go there. It's the hospital. I'm calling him. Like, hey, I need somebody to come out and meet me at the wheelchair. Like. I am in labor, like he's coming, make someone come. And they wouldn't come. I had to walk in there and I'm like, I need somebody now. Like, so there was a foot sticking out. No, it, like it had come at one of the contractions. So like, I was just working on being very like calm, like just cause so it, was, it wasn't hanging out. No, they felt like it. Had come yeah. Okay. And so like, I just worked on my breath work and just staying super, super calm and just relaxed and got in there and they're taking me up to the OB room. And I'm like, we probably better hurry because he's coming. So the guy kind of hustled with me and we get there and they have me on the bed and stuff. And they're kind of fiddling around. I'm like, someone needs to check me. And they're like, oh, you're okay. And I'm like, no, you need to check me, please. Like he's coming. And they end up checking my water like broke one point and they're like, we have a problem. Like he's breached, you know, the doctor's on his way, flight, medical, uh, from the city's coming, you know, so they have the cop, you know, so they have the chopper on hand, all this kind of stuff. Um, doctor gets there, take me over to the OR because he realizes everything that's going on. Get me to OR. I'm laying on the OR bed, and they're coming across the room to put me under to knock me out. To hit, hit like, I mean, everybody's prepped. Like the anesthesiologist is sitting right here next to me. Like my doctor is. Like everybody's coming across. He looks and he says, "It's too late." Bush. And I delivered a breech two pound baby, two pound and two ounce baby. Um, and they had it, they just took them in, in it and were working on an innovative. So by myself, mind you go to the old, you know, my old, my room, clean up everything, all that stuff. Um, I don't have anybody. And the doctor that helped innovate my son comes in and he goes, I got him innovated, but you're lucky I'm here. And this is all your fault. Just tore me up one side and down the other. Luckily for me, I had been in therapy. Like my doctor had helped me get into a therapist to help me in case I had a miscarriage because I was supposed to be a miscarriage up until 27 weeks and I had him at 26 and five. So like, and he knew kind of what I was going through, um, the home life and like everything that was going on. So got me into a super amazing therapist. She was helping me work through a bunch of stuff. So, but yeah, that doctor was like, it was bad. It was bad. And then I felt like I had nobody and I was supposed to keep everything a secret. Like 
nobody was allowed to know that uh, the second one was his at all. Like he could not do this. Like, again, like it was not good for him and his life and, you know, all this because he was, you know, living a lie. So fast. Oh, I, before you fast forward during all this time, did your parents know what was going on? not to the full extremity they did try to come out and get me one time they were going to come get my oldest and I in the spring they came and visit in like February of 2018 um to meet my oldest um and then like in the spring or whatever it was uh, my mom was going to come out and get me and I was all ready to go like had paperwork on my horse like they were bringing truck trailer like we were going to go like I was ready to go and be done um but last minute, like he played the games again and I fell for it. Like I really thought my son would hate right. me. I, what I want to know is, were they saying anything to you? Were they, were they trying to convince you to come home and leave? You, learn on your own? you need to learn on your own. Nobody can tell you unless you want to do it. It sounds to me like there wasn't a lot of guidance in there and I'm sure you know this by now, but if you're a true parent, you're a parent until the day you die. Now, does that mean that your adult children have to listen to you? No, but is it your responsibility as their, as a parent to continue to try to help your children get through life? Absolutely. I just, and then for me, I just wanted to feel like somebody had my back and felt like I wasn't alone and wasn't going to get shamed for the mistakes they made because trust me, nobody, nobody could say worse about me than I've ever said about myself. I just wanted to know that somebody had my back somewhere and would be okay. You know what I mean? I knew I needed a hail. I knew I needed to work through things. I was aware of that. I was very aware of it. Um, but it also knew you, I needed didn't, you didn't have a mom and dad that were supporting you. Okay. I'm not trying to make you feel worse. No, no, no. You're not. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really not because you've gotten through some horrendous things. The other thing I wanted to ask you before you go on is how were you supporting yourself through all this? Um, so before like everything um, in the, the like, for Just years. all these years that you were going everywhere and I was working at so that when I went from like 2014 to um you know until I like left that place I just worked for my kids as dad and wasn't really no, what I, I mean would... like in between before you had the kids and you were just all over the place were, when like you were training horses and all that kind of stuff were you getting paid for that are you talking about before I went to Oklahoma yeah. or like yeah. when you were in Kansas yeah. and all the other yeah things. so I just worked different jobs I was a pair out of school I worked on ranches I helped on a farm like so when you were like working that. on ranches you were getting paid yeah, yeah. and like so, horses you were getting paid yeah. okay yeah. okay so um and then fast forward and here we are and we are in I mean it's a mess right like I had to call a friend. Um, so the friend that came and rescued me, my Don't tell me. no, the time out. It, it was his <laughs> wife or girlfriend that came and got me because I was like, I don't have anybody. I have like I can get you gas money like tomorrow because I had I was in college actually. I was going to school, um, 
when I left, I decided to go to school and I was going to actually go into, I was stuck between, I've always wanted to be a life coach. And then I was like, okay, I want to like, I kind of want to like study the Bible or whatever, like yeah, didn't really know where to go with it. Like I just was kind of like, okay, here we are. This is where we are. Mm-hmm. So I was just in school. And so I had gotten uh, some money through my loans and my grants and stuff. I had got, and so I had money coming in on a card um, while I was a high risk, like, and I was like, I just, can you come and get me and take it to the city? Can I stay with you? Like, you know, I'll take the bus. And I was take, so when I stayed up there, I would take the bus from their house. So you're talking about staying with your girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. So, cause I had nobody else, like their dad wasn't going to take me. Um, he's like, I can't take you. And then like his family was, uh, like I said, it was a mess. And so it wasn't a good place to raise no. a child anyway. Not even close. So, um, a lot of times that's when God's saying no, we're not listening, but that's what he's saying. You know, and that's, you know, that's a hundred percent. Like, I feel like my youngest, um, I mean, he's on live. So his name's Cutter. Um, and he came strictly for that. He was never meant to stay long. He was never, his God did not send him to stay long. And that was something that was hard for me. So when I was in the NICU with him, I couldn't hold him for like 14 days, nine, was it nine days? nine to 14 days. I think I can't remember what it was. Um, I couldn't even hold him because he was intubated. Um, when he finally was unintubated, um, I work with the therapist all the time. Like I was very active in my kids' care and like learning from their specialists to understand. Wait a minute. So when, when he was actually born, he didn't, he didn't pass away then. Uh -uh. No, he was born for three. Uh, he was alive for three months. He was born. Never left the hospital. Uh, he left the hospital for 40, less than 48 hours in between the NICU and the PICU. Okay. So um, I go back and forth between the hospital from like, you know, December or from November 13th till like January, I think it was 19th. Um, we were, go- I was going back and forth between both kids. Um, this was a mess too. So like Thanksgiving was awesome. I spent the morning of Thanksgiving with my oldest and I got to spend the evening of Thanksgiving with my youngest. It was, you know, it was amazing. Christmas comes around and I was going to get a ride. like up towards the city um, and go to the hospital from there uh, with my kids' grandparents and family and stuff. But then I was told that, no, it's okay. I'll just take you to the train station and you can hang out with uh, the oldest for a little bit longer, you know, and all this like Buffalo crap. So I, I believed. So where was the oldest staying? Oh, he was with me half the time. So like, even when he, my son was, our youngest was in the hospital, I'd have to come home for like so it'd be like four days up there, four days back, four days up, four days back or less, depending on what the attitude was. So it was like split my time in between the two. Um, so, which was hard. I had a Ronald McDonald house a couple of times, but I wasn't allowed to take my oldest with me. Right. More of that. I was allowed in the, to have him at the Ronald McDonald house. I just wasn't, didn't have permission to do it. Okay. So it was a fight, losing battle that I wasn't going to win. So I didn't even fight it. Um, so like didn't get to spend Christmas. I spent Christmas and Christmas Eve completely alone. That was really a hard like wake up session for me too. Um, and then I finally got to go up there and I spent you know a few days with my son. Um, it was great. Um, and then in gen- like I think it was like the very beginning of January, my oldest gets RSV from his uh, like cousins and stuff. Like everybody had RSV and he got it and I was exposed to it. You cannot take RSV around preemies. Do not do it. It's not it's not safe for them. And they What's tell you. 
RSV, like rhinovirus. Oh, RSV. Yeah. yeah, I know what it is. So like you cannot, like if you've been even closely exposed, like you can't go for a couple of days. Right. Not only, you know, because it's deadly to them. It's deadly. Yeah. Yeah. So um my son's like super sick and I didn't have a car this time. Like I was using the ranch truck forever. Like that was the part of the gig or whatever, you know. So when I moved away, I didn't have my own vehicle. And so in the mix of this, um, he was supposed to come take us to take my son to the doctor. Well, we couldn't get him into his actual doctor because of like the time or whatever we could actually get to town. So we just went to quick care. No big deal, right? I go to quick care. I go in by myself with him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause we're both going to get tested, make sure, you know, that he has RSV. Like this doctor chewed me up one side and down the other and told me that I was the awful mom for not bringing him in sooner. Mind you, I just got back from the city to take him like that day, like earlier that day or the night before one of the two, like I hadn't been home for very long. He'd been with his dad and he'd been sick mm-hmm. and he'd been doing a whole bunch of stuff to help him. Like it's not like he was neglecting him. Um, and I told her I'd been at the city with my kid, my son, all this and like that. And she chewed me up one side down the other because I wasn't with my youngest either. Basically told me if I didn't bring him back into his main doctor the next day, she was going to call DHS on me because I was, she was, it was brutal. And I went through it all alone while their dad's outside. Go over, get my son his medicine, everything. I have an appointment made with his main doctor, you know, the next day. And he's supposed to help take me there come and get us and take us well things come up with him and he can't go so I get threatened the lady calls me and threatens me again even though I moved the you know the next day and he's doing fine like it was a bad ordeal like and I'm freaking out and you know who my saving grace was that day as I'm about to just lose it like I'm I'm almost feeling I'm a failure I call up to check on my youngest son and tell like let the nurses know what was going on that I've been exposed to RSV I can't come like, and I told him what the doctor said. And then he said, we don't want you here. And the, I mean, it was very loving. That's, that's me just putting it blunt, but like, it was in the most caring, loving way. They're like, we can't have you here. Like, we need you not to come. And it was very loving and reassuring. And they're like, you're not a bad mom. We know you, like you were one of the most hands-on, like check on your kids, like active with them. And, you know, we've instructed you not to come before. So you're not a bad mom. Don't worry about what she said and that's hard to do though those were harsh oh oh they were they were rushing so finally get over all that go back to the city my son's getting discharged um that's just gonna get us long story short my friend comes and actually gets us from the hospital we're discharged but here's the thing yeah so the night before we in this hospital you have your like main NICU area and then when you're going to get discharged they take you over to another area when they take you over to the other area, it's where you get to stay overnight with them. And it's like called the village. And so there's like rooms where the parents get to save the kids. We've gotten all my son's like oxygen stuff because they had taken his oxygen off and then they had put him back on a low amount of oxygen because he needed it because he was starting to get sick. But nobody was listening. They just said, oh, it's normal. It's just normal. So they put him on a little bit of oxygen from like just moving rooms from like going down a couple halls and into the village they had to go up on his oxygen again and they're like it's okay it's just normal it's stress like the stress of the move is normal I'm like something's wrong nobody wanted to listen to me so that night he throws up and I bring it up to the doctors and stuff like I took care of him I had to suction him out though because he had thrown up and stuff like it was bad it wasn't like normal and it was after feeding like a little bit 
and they're like, it's normal. Babies spit up. And I'm like, no, something's wrong. Like, and so the practitioner that was on like that nurse, um, like she really didn't say anything. She just kind of like, you know, just trying to point out facts, I guess, of like what they're taught. And the practitioner looked at my records and she chewed me up one side and down the other because her brother, she lost, her brother had lost his life to meth. And she's like, what kind of cowgirl uses meth? And I was like, wow, we're not going to listen to anything we have to say about this kid because you're worried about my old self. And I've proved everything. Like I have gone over the top to prove like, and I have been a very hands-on mom and you know, like I've gone through the ringer to make sure I did everything my kids needed me to do and become who I needed my, my kids needed me that I could be at that time. And, um, so I get discharged and they tell me that it's okay. If he turns a little blue, just turn up his oxygen. It's just a little stress. And it means that his oxygen just needs to go up as long as you don't go above a liter. So I do that the first night. All's good. Like kind of went out, balanced everything out. Like I was taught all that. Next day, son's still not acting right. He doesn't eat, wake up first for feeding, you know? And he's kind of like, eh, like just, we work through it. Like, you know, I do everything I'm you know, taught to do. And, you know, I th- thought it was me. And like, so I ended up taking him back to the, to the same hospital ER that night because he kind of turned blue again. And kind of was fussy and his monitors were going up and down and his monitors just kind of acting like they weren't really working either. Can I ask you, um, what was his prognosis? Uh, So he actually was just born early. Like his lungs weren't fully developed. They were developing, but they weren't as strong as they should have been. Um, But like up until then, it was nothing like bad. Like it was just preemie. Like he was strong. He was healthy. He was all that, it was just a normal preemie stuff of like not taking enough blood when they needed to be and that developing outside the womb stuff, nothing like extra, like I was very blessed. There was nothing crazy. And he actually never lost a brain function either when we went to the next part. Like it was all until the very last moment. So when we took him to the ER and they were working on him, um, they thank God for the chaplain that was there. Um, I hadn't seen him in two months and it was him and he was my angel. Like he was an angel, like God sent angel because I'm at this point until they called him in, I'm just like kind of a frantic mess. Like my ex doesn't care. Uh, you know, my kid could die at any second. I have my girlfriend, but like, nobody's going to really be there with me no matter what this goes. Like my kids in the other state, like other part of the state, like you know, an hour away. And it's just a mess, just so much going on. You know what I mean? I can't help my youngest son. I should have done better. So this chaplain shows up and he was just amazing. Like he had my bag, um, and just let me know and prayed and just brought this calm. And unfortunately, you know, the doctor came and talked to me and he was like, did you just get discharged from the NICU? And I was like, yeah, because we've been having a couple like repeaters show up here lately, almost like they weren't listening. Um, just the way his vibe and everything was. Um, I got up to the PICU and I had an amazing PICU team. I was there for 24 days and they were the best. I got to leave for one day. I let 24 days um, to go see my other son. That was the only time I seen him in 24 days was one day. And I try to leave a couple other times, but every time I try to leave, um, like one time I got called back to the hospital, like he was going through uh, dialysis. Um, the nurse says, Dusty, just go see your other son. You need it. Your mommy heart needs it. Like we have him 
there's nothing you can do right now. Just go. He's fine. Like he, everything is going great. And he, we have him, you know, he's basically out. He's like in a coma basically. And they're like, you need to go see other son. And so, and they knew a lot of the ups and downs I was dealing with, with my other, my son's dad, you know, they were, they seen it. Cause I would, you know, so I had, they were my backbone. They helped me like refocus and change my outlook kind of. So I was going to go leave and they called me and they're like, Hey, um, we need you to come back to the hospital. And she was very calm. I walk in the picky doors and my, there's a horseshoe and my son's at the very back of the horseshoe. So I'm in the door over here. And so I see my son's room and it's full of doctors. Well, like all the, everybody's in there. And I'm like, x-ray text in there. Everybody's in there. My heart drops. I get there. And that was, I went through a lot of sit down moments by myself. And then I went down a lot of those sit down moments with, you know, somebody might be there where they were there for the sit down moment, but they weren't there for the after effects. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and they gave me that talk that he had a pneumothorax and, um, the doctor on call, the doctor that was there was, um, worried because he was so small and they couldn't really feel because he was so puffy from all the fluids and medicines they had on him that if they hit a rib that he could die um the other doctor was on his way and this room was full of these amazing people and I just remember like and I'm scared obviously you know what I mean like terrified um but yeah so he I just remember like this calm came over me and I was like everything's gonna be okay and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. And I mean, like I meant it. And I was like, it was just like this, all this love, like whatever happened, like they're working on my son, like whatever happens is in God's time. But I just remember like just so much love that I wanted everyone to know. Like I was so grateful for every one of them. And I remember them not being a dry eye in the room. I thought that's how you treat everyone. Mm-hmm. So fast forward, you know, a few days later, I don't know what it was. Um, my parents came out on, so he passed away on the 13th. So it was like the weekend of the 10th. My parents came out the weekend and they were supposed to see my oldest and my youngest, you know, and spend some time with, you know, me too. And, uh, we're not allowed to go see my son now. We can't go pick my son up. Um, whole bunch of crap. I get death threats basically told I'm going to get put in a hospital bed next to my youngest. Um, it was a mess. Cops were involved, but nothing they could do. So finally got to see him on the Sunday before they leave. Um, and so it's a mess walking into this, right? Like a whole mess walking into the end of the, you know, that week, that last week I had with my son. And um, for days, for days when I should have been just focusing on my youngest because he was going through different treatments, our last swing efforts, like, you know, I knew we were at the end of our rope. Like we didn't have a lot of options left and not a lot of, um, changes coming he was still really swollen he was only five pounds when he went into the uh pick you and he was like 12 pounds when he passed away 12 15 pounds i think he got up to 15 pounds at once just from all the medicine they were trying to use to combat everything and when i should have just been spending time just holding his little hand or just spending a little like reading to him or just being like super present i had to worry about getting a dna test on him put on file so i didn't lose my oldest and you know, that was one of the hardest things, like, that last day with him, uh, like, we kind of had, like, things were going better, like, it kind of were going on the uphill, you know what I mean, and you take every win in the NICU and the PICU, like, smallest move forward is a huge win, right, and so um, I actually 
my son was getting hooked up to a new machine dialysis machine and my cousins came down from Tulsa um to be with me because they didn't want me to be alone um a friend of mine who I grew up with her son here in Alamo actually moved to Kansas so she flew or she drove from Kansas down uh, to Oklahoma City to be with me so I wasn't alone because we knew like it was we're at the end like any moment something bad could go and nobody wanted me to be alone and she flew her son in with her uh, flew his son from Vegas in um one of my friends I grew up with so long story short um I, my cousin stayed for a while everything went really well like everything seemed to be good and so we went out to go get something to eat like early in the morning all that kind of stuff fast forward and then um get a call the next day we'd been in and out of the hospital different times we were out looking for like a laptop for my school and different things like that and we get a call that we need to come back to the hospital and that's when I got the final call that nothing's working nothing at all so we I had to make that call and I could have had my oldest come and take pictures and I tried to get my oldest to come and take pictures with us we got an amazing lady to come in and how old was your oldest then a year and a few months he's little he's still a baby well you said you tried so he he didn't have any face all in it his dad wouldn't let him come okay yeah so that's not gonna let that happen and you know what I am not in any way sticking up for him but it probably was for the best because that would have been a bad memory well they don't have a memory that young but if somebody told them yes yes so I mean it was good for me I got to spend all that you know extra time soaking up with my son I just I held him and I actually was in the room completely by myself when I let him go when we unplugged him so I felt his last breath we did skin to skin therapy like we do in the NICU um and when I felt him leave, I felt, I knew my grandmas were right there and I could vision my grandmas reaching down for him to help take him. And I seen Jesus come across. And I'll tell a lot of people that because people think I'm crazy, but he's like, it's okay. It's all going to be worth it. And um, luckily I had my friends there with me. They helped take care of all the service stuff. They helped me. When I went down to go get my son, when I finally could go down there and get him, I was supposed to go stay back at the house I was staying at, not allowed to go to the city and handle anything with my oldest got to the house and my room was full of dog crap and pee and some of my shelves have been moved around which were my personal shelves that I brought to the house with me and then the house was covered in smoke and there was kids in the house and so luckily my friends had actually propped over to the state in the town that I was they followed us basically mm-hmm. um, to where we were going so that they knew like and they got me out. They got us out. We went to the city plan services. We had his services. Um, yeah, I went to Kansas and just kind of lay low for a few days and then moved, drove clear across country with my son. And um, at this time, when I lost my youngest or lost my youngest and finally got my oldest, um, this is where the other fun stuff happened with the horse. He um, got taken to my kids' dad's house and was basically being held ransom. Trade for the horse. If I want the horse back, I got to get the kid back. It's like, well, you can keep the horse. But, yeah, oh my gosh. He was bargaining with your horse and your son. Yeah. Yeah. Or blackmailing you basically. Yes. So when we went, um, so this was in February. Uh, we didn't go to custody. His wife was part of this. Oh yeah. We didn't go to custody court until May. She pays for all of it. She pays my child support. 
she, she, uh, my son has insurance on her hair. It's, it's a mess. It's a mess. I just keep praying for God to show up where he wants to show up when he wants to show up when it's ready. He'll show what he needs to do. He'll do. And it's teaching me to have like faith in God and to not react so much too, because I was a reactor, like, especially when we went to court and stuff, I was a reactor. I racked up so many court bills just because I was sending text messages over like these threats over all the time. Like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Like, I was really kind of afraid of him. And he kept saying he was going to show up and he did try to show up one time and come and get him. They flew all the way. They both flew all the way into Vegas and then rented a car to come to this town I was at to try to take him. And luckily the court documents, he couldn't and lawyers and cops proved they couldn't do anything. So they went back empty handed. So, but, so it was a mess. So I went through custody court um, and like, yeah, so here we are. And that was May of 19 and we are in May of 2022 and life does not look the same at all. Um, so did you get full custody? I have sole custody. Um, but, so does, it's, but does he have visitations? Yes, he does. He has a 50, 50 visit. They ended up even with proof of everything and all of our text threats and everything, um, refusal to take the DNA test on the youngest, like judge try to get him. That was the crap show in the courtroom too. Um, but yeah, so he gave him 50, 50 visitation until he starts kindergarten. When he's in kindergarten, it'll be completely different. He'll be with me. For me, what I learned is it's been a time for me to focus on Dusty and healing. So I've been in, I was in therapy for a while and then I got into life coaching. So I have therapists and coaches at the same time. And so through the mix of all this, like, and I figured out that I want to help other women who either go through even just one sliver of what I did, like one part of something I went through. I want to help them find themselves. My goal is to help women become their authentic self after trauma, because the reason I endured more trauma than, you know, I should have like, I guess like I should have could have went all day long, but the main reason that I never stepped away from some of the things that were happening, or I stepped down the path that I stepped down was because my authentic self was so covered in shit and what other people said about me or said I could or should be that I didn't know who I was, that I lost who I was. So I didn't like, I was so lost and confused because like, I didn't know who I was. I looked myself in the mirror and I'm like, who are you? You know, two years in the healing. And there was times where I look in the mirror and I go, who is that chick? I, like stare myself in the mirror. Like, who is that? Like, like I had no idea who I was. Like I would be so shocked by that happy, like bright blue eyes, the bright, like everything energy because of so much. So my goal is to help women who go through that to find their authentic self so that they can help take the pen back from trauma and rewrite their own story for the life they deserve to have. And everyone's kids need to see their mom or their dad or whoever do that because it then gives them hope to do it for themselves. Okay, well- couple more questions so are you still in therapy uh no I have coaches I have life coaches okay so I'm a life coach but I still do therapy with people right right I understand and but you're not I don't have like a therapist I go to all the time anymore okay I just my belief on me um and I don't 
I don't even have half of what you have. Um, just with everyday life, I feel like everybody needs to have a life coach. Just somebody to go to that is non, that's not biased. Right. Um, on any given day that you're having a bad day that you can talk to and they're not going to take your side or that side. They're just going to listen and maybe give some open advice. The horse, tell, tell me then how, how you're using, because I heard bits and pieces where the horse came, the horses came in as therapy. My main horse, Rock, he has been there through it all, right? Like he has been through there all. And you know, it's the fun thing is, is, you know, I ask advice a lot when I go into these different programs, like I go into like the mastermind so that I have a group of people that I'm with. And then I can like go to a lot of these different people and ask their opinions on like, maybe even how they would handle a situation or how they would. So, but the thing is that I'm realizing is that all of them are actually impressed by once we talk about things like, you know, using the horses to help people or even, even virtually um, with that is, so for example, like frog, like he's been through a lot of really dark stuff for me and the things that people said about him, like he's worthless, he's lazy, all this kind of stuff, like, you know, um, and that just the trauma that he's been through, like having to go back and forth and I had to get him back and, you know, through custody court too. And, but to be able to take somebody down there and share that horse's story with them and then share like the other horse, my, the horse I've been running barrels and competing on, like, share her story. She's an x-race horse. And like, she's got one of her nostrils was cut up higher. So like, she's got this big, weird looking nostril. And then she's got to like, literally part of an eyelid and eyelashes missing out of her eye and from track life, from the abuse that they, you know, sometimes see on the track life and mm-hmm. you know, never really addressing all that. And just how like she was a race horse and then kind of got used for a minute and then just sat for like 10 years. And then I came and now we're both working on some of our stuff. And if I was a horse, I would be her. Like, attitude like build like it that would be me and so to share the story and connect and just be able to like take someone down that road of their story we're not talking about you for a minute like let's just go down their story you know like so that, what have you done for self-care like to heal for yourself me, for me so I have had to learn a lot of different things like I love exercise I hated vegetables for a long time and I love vegetables. Like I had to learn what Dusty likes. Like, so learning and experimenting with what Dusty likes has been a self-care. I think one of my self-care things is actually trying new things. Sounds crazy, but like I noticed that my health and my self-care and my just mental well-being is actually better when I challenge myself to do something different every day. That might even just be brushing my teeth with the opposite hand or putting the opposite leg on something to break up my normal is actually self-care for me, for me, you know, learning the journal or do different things like that. And I think a big self-care thing, honestly, for me was learning different ways to navigate through grief from losing my son um, and celebrating different holidays and different things. Like his wing day this time, I made a couple, I wrote a couple different letters, one to him, one uh to god like just be very grateful just like or asking it was gratitude and asking him to take over some things that i just want to turn over and then gratitude and then there was another one that like i just went into meditation and just like chilled myself and like kind of wrote what i thought 
you know, felt like God wanted me to hear, see, and I made them into paper boats and I put like some sweet grass on there and I went and lit them on fire and set them into the lake, watched them burn. So I kind of burned it into the universe. Sure. It was symbolic and it was kind of fun. And then I made a s'mores while I was on a rock out there under the stars by myself and ate a s'mores. <laughs> but for me, it's just like testing new things and not just being so set and like, well, this is what everyone says self-care is. It's for me, it's being exploratory. It is using the horses to heal. It is spending time just with the horse to take care of them. It is, um, you know, going and reaching out to other people. It's just finding new things, being a kid, being present with my son. It's self-care doesn't look the same every day for me. I guess be that person I wish I would have had that someone could have said, Hey, um, like what you've been through, you don't have to keep reliving. You don't have to keep going down that same path. You don't have to, you know, you can break cycles. You can look at things differently. The one thing about equine therapy that's powerful is that when you look at that horse's story and you connect with that horse, like, come on, like, there's nothing you're going to do. Like those horses are gorgeous right now. Like you would never know they went through those things. When you connect there after you already loved on them and already like started to connect and then you go down that path. And anything's possible in this trail. Like you can do anything, anything you say, any, you could do anything, say anything, money's on an option. Like they can hear and understand you so you can say whatever you want. Like they're going to feel it. So give it all and just dive in deep. And when you dive deeper into what you would do for that horse in that darkest moment in their hardest days, even their bad days, when they're just, cause like the mare, she's, some days she is a mess, just like we are when we've been through abuse or just like, we're like, oh, I literally love you. You're really like, wait a second. I'm not sure you're not going to try to do the same thing that's been done to me before. Like, let me push you away. So when you can take them down that walk, that animal, and then you can flip it back on them, it gives them hope again. And it lets them see what they deserve for themselves, what that love deserves and looks like for themselves, because they're just as worthy of that love and everything that they would do for that animal. They're so worth it, but it's hard to see when you're in defense mode, worried about everything else. Like you're worried about I just talked to you about your trauma and that's all we were talking about was your stuff. You'd be like, I don't want to share everything. I don't want you to know, like, let me keep this over here. But if we can go in a different way with it and we can break down the layers and realize how loving and how kind you really are, you deserve that same love that you would give. Which is what, which is what I learned in my self-love trip. And I have been highly recommending that to everybody and it doesn't have to be like I did for four weeks you know oh for Um, sure you can even do it from home you know you can you can put yourself in a room and say okay everybody this is my time the only time I'm going to come out is to go to the bathroom and take a shower maybe maybe grab some food I I told my husband I said I'd suggest putting a little refrigerator and and a microwave in the room if that's what they have to do, if they can't, you know, leave yes. for some yes. reason, you know, or can't afford it, but, you know, watch, watch a bunch of great movies or documentaries, do some yoga, you know, write, write all this stuff, journal, 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 Draw. pray, pray. I think the thing that we get so caught up in society is that you know, we've, we've lived a life of where everything's so cookie cutter, like look like this, be like this, do this. This is what's cool. This is what's not cool. Da, 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 da. Now we get down to self-care and mental health. Mental health has had such a stigma around it for so long that if you seek help, like something's really wrong with you, you're, 
it's not the thing. We all have emotions. Our emotions and our feelings are check engine light. Like we have to address them and understand why we feel these things. And I teach that with grief. Like, you know, when you have emotions with grief, like it's not always that like, you're just like grieving that person and you can't get out of that hole. But because it's our cookie cutter that we're living in, you're not realizing that some of that is actually just wanting you to kind of take care of yourself, like learning to my grief helped me learn more about myself than anything else because I had to learn what those, what they were signaling right. and where I need, where I was lacking a little bit. And maybe that lacking was literally just not even acknowledging that I had another child, like not my son knows he has a brother and he's like, mom, you know, you can talk to his picture, right? Like that's how you can talk to him. And he'll have me his ash urn sometimes. And he's like, mom, just talk to him. I'm like, mm -hmm. I love you. And it's, you know, at first it was kind of awkward, but now I'm like, it's good. And then, but the thing about the cookie cutter and society about every little thing is that self-care is supposed to be massage and manicure and all that. Like, it's great. But the thing is, is we need to experience what's for us and who we are and what works for us. Not everyone's going to go want to hang out with a horse and do yoga out in a pasture or journal out in a pasture with horses sniffing around them. You know, but not everyone's going to want to go be in a busy city and sit in a park with a bunch of cars zooming around, you know, and that's, you got to figure out what you are. And I, so I love, and I give you so much credit and I love that you're inspiring other people to do the same thing because we forget to look in with it, like, and try things for us. Mm -hmm. Everyone tells us what we should and shouldn't do. And that's what I had to do is I had to figure out what it was for me. And, and actually it didn't come down to one thing. You know, there were several things, but each night I opened up my journal and I wrote down that day. And then I wrote down when I felt the best mentally, not that I was broken down. Right. There was a lot of things going on, you know, just with the kids and stuff that I was just questioning and questioning myself, which is something parents do a lot. But anyway, um, so. We talked about, because we need to wrap this up, what about this other company that you're co-founder of and what do they do? Oh, I am the co-founder of Love and Light to the World organization. We are a nonprofit 501c3 and our mission and goal is basically just to give hope. Like that's just plain cut dry, like just down to the nitty gritty, like is to give hope. And what that looks like is, so we have like yellow decals, like hearts and stars that you can stick on your cars or on the windows, just as a reminder of hope because, I mean, we have like little, uh, the little rubber wristbands. Um, and then we have shirts, yellow shirts that say hashtag light it up. And the thing is, is so many people are suffering in silence and complete, complete silence. Absolutely. Um, so many people like in the, the found our founder, Sandra she is a nurse and she was an ER nurse for a long time. And to listen to some of her stories that she had to go through. Um, and then like when she went through all of this, um, her, she was prescribed um, different medications. Is it Sandra Landro? It is Sandra Lando. Okay. Um, so I'm going to be interviewing her. Ah. Um, She's awesome. She doesn't check her messages very much, but she sent me 
this morning at 7.54 said, hey there, good morning. And I said, good morning. And then um, I said, we need to do a brief chat and schedule an interview. And she didn't, she didn't answer. And then I said, are you at work? This was at 327 and she hasn't answered. But she keeps answering on my um, Instagram and I don't get notifications from that. I mean, I turned them off because there's way too many. Right, right. Way too many. So I asked the people that I'm going to work with to message me, you know, because so tell people that all the time. Like, I don't know what's going on, but I know she said she's interested in doing that part. So her story is going to be different than yours. I'm sure. Oh, it is. It's, and that's, what's so powerful about the, so there's a couple other people on our team, but we're the two that are like most in it right now, like, and pushing forward. We do the interviews to rockstar testimony platform where we do uh, podcasts and I actually was going to tell you really I would love to have you come and do one and all it is is it's a live but you kind of share your story and the reason that we do this is because somebody is scrolling through our page and they're like hey I just happened to stumble upon this today oh hey look so and so you know and they start watching these and the thing is is my story is not going to resonate with everybody Sandra's story is different than mine we both like she had an actual attempt. I just planned my suicide. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, our stories are way different. I was a hospital mom. She was a nurse, you know, like there's so many different things that go into these things. Sure. And, but so these stories that people come, we have amazing people that come on that have stories of their own, right. That have been through the trenches, whatever that trench looks like for you, because it's different for everybody but it's all about resilience and what resilience means to you. And all the podcasts we've done, every answer to resilience is different. And, and then you share like your story and how you made it through. And the reason for that is, is just to give that hope back to somebody because both of us wish we would have seen somebody doing that or giving us hope or knowing we weren't alone. Cause I thought I was the only one getting abused. I thought I deserved it. And I thought I was the only one that made the mistakes I made and there was no way out. Like, and that's why I wanted to end it all, but there's so much hope. It doesn't matter what you've been through. And so we light up hospitals and do different things like that. So we give back a lot. So in ending this, what, what do you feel like is, was, or is your biggest life struggle? Hmm. My biggest life struggle, um, honestly, probably has always been my self-worth. I I really do feel like my self-worth has been uh, my biggest and it's still my biggest um, battle of all. It's definitely my Goliath. Um, So, and I think, and I know that that's what's led me down the different paths I've been through. After listening to all yours, that's what I would have said. 100%. And then the other thing is, would you like to give your um, information where somebody can contact you? Or did you want to? I'd love to. So, no, it'd be awesome. So, I can be reached on uh, Instagram and TikTok at The Beautiful Outlaw. Um, And that's kind of like my other business. Like, it's all about inspiring women. I'm glad you've got that word beautiful in there. Yes, it's The Beautiful Outlaw. And so, and then Facebook is just Dusty Ann um, or Dusty Simmers. And so, you can find me there. And just reach out to me and 
I will be glad to work in any possible way, help you, help you even navigate. Sometimes it's just connecting with the right person. I'm not going to be the right person for everybody. My teaching will be the right person, but I might know somebody that is. Okay. Well, I just want to thank you for sharing all of what you shared. And I'm pretty sure there's somebody out there that's going to be able to relate to something that you had in there. So thank you so much for coming on and for on short notice, even though you got sick one day, I felt so bad for you, but, but, but you got better and you came back and you came back strong. So I appreciate that. I'm so grateful for you. Like, I really do appreciate you for having me on and allowing me to share. And I appreciate you back.